Good evening and welcome back to another episode of Please Call Me Crazy, brought to you by Free People Radio and powered by our favorite sponsor, TireGit.com. That's TireGit.com. You have to buy tires from somebody, you might as well buy them from us. Help fund the movement, help support the movement. We believe in the freedom of movement. That's exactly what the establishment wants to take from you now. I'm your host, Royce White, here in the belly of the beast, belly of the beast, Minneapolis, Minnesota, for episode number 87. Episode episode number 87, 88. I don't know which one it's going to be. I might do another episode tomorrow, and this one ends up being 89. Who knows? Episode number, whatever it says in the in that, in the description, in the title. Um, back again with another incredible family and friends episode. The great Professor Penn is in the studio with us. Welcome back, Professor Penn. Thank you. And uh, he's here because he had his 50th episode. 50th anniversary episode, taken down, deplatformed by YouTube, cited for medical misinformation. We got censorship already early in the game here at Free People Radio. We want to send a special shout out to whatever Finocchio's there at YouTube are working behind the keyboard to censor this material and, and go through it. I listen to the podcast myself, have no clue. The first time when you when you were the guest host on Please Call Me Crazy, I knew exactly why they took that episode down because you talked about the World Health Organization and the World Health Organization, I guess, is persona non grata when it comes to. It's a protected organization. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's off limits. Off limits. This episode, number 50, I have no clue why they took it down. I know why. Please proceed. Good to have you back. Proceed. I'm very happy to be here. It's mm -hmm. nice to see you. It's always <coughs> nice to be with your crew. Uh I uh, I have a comment, and the comment is, well-being and convenience are not related. And a lot of our modern culture is about convenience. And we're losing our freedom because of convenience. And there's a lot of things that are very convenient related to our health that really are kind of a shortcut. And I was just drawing out some of those issues because I believe in... Like statins, for example. Well, you know, even... No, they, no I, was way, I was way upstream of statins, okay? But that is an example. No, I don't know that I would go that far. I would say this. I would say, I would say it is. Well... You're the, fat as fuck. Okay. That's why your blood pressure is bad. You're fat than a motherfucker. There's some people that have high blood pressure yeah, that don't have off. a weight problem, but... Yeah, they're on coke. You want to know something? Okay. Can we get this episode up on YouTube? Oh, it's just, going up. Why? Because they get <laughs> It's going did up. Did I hear you're running for Senate? Uh, Yeah. Yeah. You well, know. you know, if they can, let's just try, you know, this is another thing that came up. I got to, I got that, I was really excited about that episode because I keep trying to work on the artistry of presenting these podcasts. And it's the tone of my voice. I try not to be mumble mouth. Mm -hmm. I try to have a theme going through the whole podcast that people can relate to. So they go, oh, there's an idea here. Mm -hmm. And it was one of my best, probably my best efforts. So when I saw that, I went at nine o'clock and I have all these people in the live chat that are conversing with me. And I really look forward to that. I really look forward to that because sometimes some really interesting things happen. And I uh, went at nine o'clock, wasn't there. I text Tanner and he sends you back the thing that, you know, it's taken down. I was crestfallen. 
but I realized something very worthwhile. And let them listen to this one. My entire adult life, I've struggled with and tried to understand why Jesus spoke in parables. And now I know why. Mm. Because he didn't want to get deplatformed. That's why he spoke in parables. It wasn't that he was trying to be mysterious. He was trying to stay ahead of the constabulary because he said, if you have eyes to see and ears to hear, you're going to get it. And those people can't get it. And that was the theme of the podcast. I started out, Tanner's going to remember this, I started out with a beautiful piece of Bach, but instead of showing the piano player, I showed the music, the actual written music that was part of that 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 piece was generated from and um, I said there's two ways to play music by ear and by note mm. and that was the theme of the entire podcast mm. and that's what it is for health too we can play by instruction or we can play by ear or by revelation and I was trying to bring out for for the audience that uh Health is not something you can gain from a book. And you, I can't go to you like, you know, hey, Royce, am I healthy? And I'm asking that question. Who cares what you think about it? <laughs> yeah. It's what I think about it, right? right? And I also made a very interesting point in the podcast. Well-being and disease are not exclusive of one of another. A person can be dying with phenomenal well-being or could be dying with terrible dis-ease. Diseased, not disease. They're diseased, and I want to share this with my audience because I think that the entire politics that you and I are discussing, that I'm discussing, that we're heading for, is about the well-being of the American people. Their political well-being, their social well-being, cultural well-being, familial well-being, physical well-being. I, I, that's what I'm focused on because I think, from my perspective, and I'd like your opinion on this. I think that's something that the majority of American citizens could agree on that well-being is worth uh, investing in, our well-being, our actual physical well-being. Mm. And I'm hoping that that will bring together some of these disparate groups that really hate each other because mm -hmm. who's going to get on the other side of well-being? Stop, stop trying to bring together the disparate groups. That's a it's folly, in my opinion. Well, some of them can't come together. I agree with you. Yeah. Some of them just, it just can't. <clears throat> I'll give you an example. The two worldviews just don't mesh. You know, in the Democrat Party, first of all, the whole Democrat and Republican thing, I've been saying this over and over again. I just said it to a friend of mine this morning. He said, I want to bet you $500 that the Republicans win in Arizona. I said, I'll take that bet, but I want to change the terms. I want to bet $500 that a globalist wins in Arizona. <laughs> right. I really don't care what party they're in because I think we've got this kind of BS story going and on. And what, the Senate? Senate, gov you know, Senate, House, whatever. County commissioner, dog catcher. I mean, you're either on one side of this football or you're the, the, on the other side. You're either a globalist or you're a nationalist. I, I hope you agree with me. For sure. But I mean, before, we, before we go down that road, I want people to better understand where you're coming from and speaking about well-being. So can you walk us through your fight with cancer and, and how you overcame that? What, what, what? Well, I don't like to, I, you know, I don't like to talk about this. You've put me on the spot. Oh, well. 
I thought it would credentialize you with the audience. Well, it credentializes me with all the people that have had cancer, for sure. Yeah. Because it's, that's kind of an in-crowd, right? Yeah. In fact, when I had it, I used to walk around and tell myself cancer was the answer. So if there are people out there that have cancer and they're struggling with that, it's a chronic condition. Uh, I was diagnosed very young. I, was, I got cancer when I was 26 years old. And I fought it myself till I was 29. So I didn't even go to the doctor, which gives you some idea of where I was coming from. I was really into, you know, the self-governance of my well-being. Yeah. And uh, I had a disease that was, uh, it was a, a relatively, uh, it was a kind disease to have. It was Hodgkin's lymphoma, which actually, if you're going to get a, a cancer, it's something that they say, oh, you can be cured. Uh, but the cure that they had in mind for me was quite extreme. Mm-hmm. And uh, they, I was uh, recommended to have a, what's called a, a, a staging. Anyhow, it's a splenectomy. They take your spleen out to find out how, uh, how far that cancer has spread through your blood system. And I was uh, recommended to have chemotherapy and like I think 60 or 70 courses of radiation. And it was really interesting. I just had a friend of mine die of that disease like a couple of years before I was diagnosed. So I was already like, whoa, it's not for sure how this is going to turn out. Mm-hmm. And then you go to one doctor and the doctor says, well, you know, you're looking good. I want a second opinion. Oh, you're not looking that good. Then you go to the third doctor and said, your ass is grass, buddy. So, and that's because they, they do what's called a biopsy. And uh, the biopsy, it's like a piece of artwork. I mean, you have a picture of cells and then people look at it and everybody sees something different. It's interesting, isn't it? It's like the, the idea of the biopsy is to get some kind of idea of how far your disease has progressed or what kind of disease you have. Mm. But there's a human being looking at it. Like one person might look at you and see one thing and another person sees another thing. There's some subjectivity to it. Anyhow, I, to make a long story uh, relatively manageable, uh, I did not want to have uh, a full onslaught as if my body was the enemy and that um, the cancer had to be destroyed. That, you know, that I asked the doctor, you're taking my spleen out. Does it matter? No, but you can never ride a bike again. Really? Why is that? Well, if you fall down, you could die. Well, I was riding my bike at the time, you know, 150 miles a week. That didn't sound like a good deal for me. I mean, I wanted to ride my bike. Bicycle. Bicycle. Yeah, bicycle. I used to ride my bike everywhere because I was trying to heal myself. You know, I was spending a lot of time. I was that crazy bastard that when the snow was flying, I was riding my bike to work because I was trying to stay out in the natural environment. Anyhow, I, um, I went for second opinions, third opinions, and I realized really quick, and for the people that are, are suffering, which I, I have a great deal of um, understanding of that suffering, I wanted another opinion that was not in the legal district of Minneapolis-St. Paul where we live, the belly of the beast. Because it doesn't matter who you go see, they're going to tell you the same thing because they're controlled by the legal ramifications of coming up with a different idea. They're worried about getting sued. So whatever the standard of care is, you're getting it. Overly litigious country. Well, it, 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 it controls the kind of medical care we're going to get. Yeah. So I went... Uh, uh, out of Minnesota, down to Chicago, and I met a very young and charismatic uh, physician 
whose name I can mention because I, I haven't even thought about him for many years, but his name is Dr. Keith Block. And he w- was very charismatic. And he had started one of the first oncology practices that involved diet and psychotherapy. He Homeopathic? Really, no, nope. he was, no, it was no, it was diet. He was really into what <clears throat> Alternative. Complementary. They okay. call it complementary. He, okay. he, 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 he treated his patients with the minimal of standard allopathic care. Mm-hmm. He prescribed for them a, a healing diet, which was basically an Asian diet, a yin-yang balanced diet, was called macrobiotics. And it still exists to this day, that kind of a diet. And uh, uh, he also you know, he said, hey, if you've got cancer, you know, you're cuckoo. So you, you took uh, psychotherapy. And I drove back and forth to uh, Chicago every two weeks for a couple of years. And uh, he gave me the minimum amount of uh, allopathic care. And uh, I went through many hard years. It took me about 10 years to recover. I had, uh, I think, 30 courses of radiation. That's it. No chemotherapy, no surgery. And I've been asymptomatic since I'm about 30 years old. Wow. And 30 years. 34 years. 34 yeah. years. Yeah. And, but I really want to say to the listeners and viewers, people have to be active participants in their care. There is good scientific data that says... If you self-govern when you're ill, you're likely to have a better outcome than if you're passive. And I was very aggressive in my desire to read the literature, to understand what was being done to me. I was very uh, consumed with the desire to heal. I mean, I was in my 20s. I lost the most wonderful year. I mean, I went into that thing. I weighed 225 with a 33-inch waist. And I came out weighing 120 pounds. And I had to rebuild myself. And you've met me. I mean, I don't think I look like I was that sick. And I I did. The, the, it's not the getting treated that's the issue. It's the getting well that's the issue, the well-being part. What are we willing to do to restore and reclaim our well-being? Yeah. And there was nothing I was not willing to do. I, so how fucked up were you with the psychotherapy? Were you pretty fucked up? Uh, no, I'm not amenable to psychotherapy. I have to tell you. The guy looked at me and said, this is not going to work. I'm throwing your ass out. Oh, okay. Because I just, you know. So you didn't keep that up over the course of the, no, the that, three years? No, that of... did not work. That You know, I tried. I tried because I was scared. So being scared, the anxiety, the panic attacks, the free-floating anxiety that's yeah. associated with somebody looking at you and you go, you have a 50% chance of being alive five years from now, and you're 29 years old, that scares you. And I had a lot of anxiety, and I was not functional. I get these panic attacks, and I couldn't move. From the cancer, from having cancer, the fear of that, or in general? Well, it's free-floating anxiety. did you have anxiety before that, or did the cancer? I did, but the cancer brought it into full, bold relief. Yeah, of course. I mean, and it was that's a funny story, too, because I was already involved in... uh, very heavy martial training before I got sick. Mm. And you know this, I mean, you you two guys kick each other like that and their shins hit, you get a hole in your shin, you get a divot. Mm -hmm. And I was, you know, you're constantly checking yourself for lumps and bumps. And I I was down on my shit. Oh my gosh, there's a, what's a divot is a a divot in one area is two high points. And I thought, Oh, bone cancer. It's spread to my bones. I flipped out. So I went to a doctor here in Minneapolis. 
And I, and I, I, he felt it and he looked at me and said, what are you worried about? And I told him and he said, you know, you have every reason to have anxiety. And he actually gave me permission to have anxiety. And mm. after that, it started to get a little bit better for me. Mm. But what really healed it, what really healed it was I immersed myself because we're going to admit that, you know, you're letting me talk. I mean, mm. you're taking me all the way down the rabbit hole. I'm not going all the way, okay? But I'm going to go down a couple more levels. Okay. Um, I found that the most healing part of that journey for me was faith. I went to my rabbi, and I was praying in a very religious community at the time. Mm -hmm. Very religious. Black-hatted. Had the big beard. Fell out from the radiation. And... uh I said, Rabbi, I have a very serious disease. Certainly, in this great lexicon of knowledge that goes back thousands of years, there must be some magic that I can rely on. And he gave me a book in Yiddish, which I read. And to give you the sum of the book, it said, do whatever your doctor tells you to do. And I said, I'm out because I need some supernatural help right now. And I, I was... Uh, lucky enough to meet a, a, a beautiful, God-fearing Christian woman named Georgine Moore, and she introduced me to the New Testament, which, as a Jewish man, that's a stretch right there. But hey, in a foxhole, you know, hey, whatever it's going to take, I was going to do it. I mean, I was, mm -hmm. I was dying, right? Yeah. And I read, and she introduced <coughs> me to that New Testament, and I read Mark and Matthew... I must have read it a thousand times. And I realized it was a full healing system. And I believed it. Whatsoever you pray for, believe you've received it, and you shall have it. Mm. And I did that, and I believed it, and I started thanking God for healing me. I used to drive around and says, pray, pray always with all prayer. And I did. I prayed, because when you're dying, hey, you're not thinking about anything else but staying alive. And that's how I was. And I had three little kids that I was a father to, and I had a business. I had all these responsibilities. I didn't even have time for this. And I had to deal with it all at once, and it was terrifying. And the more terrified I got, the more I relied on the New Testament. Mm. And uh, I, I gained so much from that experience. It has made my life. Now, all the supernatural things that happen, we can leave for another time unless you drill me into it. But, I mean, I was actually uh, quite fortunate to have gone through that experience. And I know that sounds strange. I know people are going to hear that and go, boy, you're really crazy. Yeah, of course. <clears throat> is this please call me crazy? Absolutely it is. I guess I fit in here, don't yeah, absolutely I? Absolutely. But do. I actually look back on that experience, uh, the arrogance that I had. I was a super good athlete, and I was really mean. And I got in fights just just for fun. I was goofy. I mean, I, I mean, I had a conflict oriented personality. Mm -hmm. I was heavy into a lot of stuff that was not good for me. But really, um, I think God corrected my behavior, and I forged a relationship with God at that time that has informed my life till this moment. And that's what I'm trying to share with the viewers and listeners that. Uh, that faith in God thing, that's what we're really dealing with here with this globalist nationalist thing. Yeah. It's the linchpin. So I was in some sense prepared for the life I'm living now 
by going through that experience. And I know you had Greg on, who was your, who's your one of your martial arts uh, instructors. Greg, is that his name or what? Greg Nelson. Greg Nelson. Sifu Greg Nelson. Sifu, and I've known about him because he's quite well known in the Twin Cities, mm-hmm. and he had a similar experience. Yeah, rare, rare nerve cancer. And when I looked at him when we met First, him, first, I think when he got diagnosed, he said he was one of thirty-three cases that had ever been recorded, um, either at Mayo or in the full scope of Mayo's data on on that disease, which probably extended to other well, I wanted, hospitals as well. But he was one of 33, and, and all 32 had died. You know, I was He was gonna, the first to survive it. I was going to say. You got to be a special motherfucker. Well, I'm just going to say, like, the, the disease I had was kind of surface level. Mm. It was kind of a beginner's disease. Mm. God was kind to me. He got... Full blown. Oh, he. I mean, that was like main, in the nerve, the main frame cancer. Yeah, and he and he recovered from that, and that takes a kind of uh, faith. Like when you go and they say, "Well, hey, ninety five percent of the people from where you're at, you have a ninety five percent chance of living." Well, let me go see somebody else. Maybe I can get it up to ninety nine, fifty. I'm going back to ninety five. But he had a disease. When he went in for that diagnosis, they said, "Hey, pa- hey, partner." Start getting your affairs in order. Oh, I mean, this takes really uh, a level of faith. The most special part of the story is when he goes and he says, and when he's like, when I first went in, I said, I don't want to hear any numbers. Don't tell me, don't tell me what my chances are. I don't want to have any, I don't want to hear any numbers. I don't want to have anything to do with any numbers, which is kind of like a rejection and acceptance of the medical industrial complex at the same time, which is what I think many Americans are faced with. I was talking about on my podcast for Wednesday that we're, we're, you know, I saw this video of this guy skiing down a, 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 a slope, a mountain, mountainside, and he, uh, he went into a snowbank that was hiding over the top of a big hole in a glacier. And he's, he's got a GoPro, so you can see it from his vantage point, and he goes down into the, the hole. Oh, I saw that, and they yeah. had to rescue him. Well, yeah, and I mean, he would, but he, but, yeah, and he was down there, and his ski actually was long enough to stop him from, cascading all the way down into, I don't know, could have been a fucking 20-meter hole. Who knows? This fucking devil's asshole could have been down there. I don't know. <laughs> and uh, But I said in, in the podcast, I go, when you're faced with that, my, my whole thing on Wednesday was about patience. The, the, the title of the episode was The Crisis of Patience. And it was at that moment when people panic, when people are doing things too fast, when they don't know how to uh, uh, deal with a crisis or an emergency and, and slow down their thinking, um, you fuck up and you die. You, you mean you 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 know you make mistakes if nothing else. And my example with that analogy with with that you know my my uh, my example with with the ski thing was if you're down there and you're you're hanging on by a ski, and you're looking down, and you see the devil's asshole down there, <clears throat> and you look back up and you see daylight and you know, I don't know how far down this goes, but death is down there and a chance at life is up there. Can you be quick to to act? Can you decide quick what to do, or do you have to survey the entire environment and figure out what's the next best choice to make? And obviously, the guy lived, but had he panicked and you know and tried to? I mean, it, when you're hanging on by a ski in ice, and even if you wiggle that ski too much, and that ski Goodbye. gives, you're done, right? And he lived, uh, but but my my point here is, you know, when when Greg when Greg went in, 
He's going into the hospital. So he has some trust, some level of trust in medicine, but not a full faith in medicine. And when he told the doctors, don't give me the numbers, he's, he was, he was, it's an example of how he knows where the blind spot is in medicine, as many of us have the intuition that there are blind spots in science. Science, science is not a net negative. It's not a bad thing overall. But the idea that it's a net positive is negligent and naive. Uh, and I, I don't know why I went on that tangent with this with try, the story. Let's but. try to get this uh, this <laughs> episode up on YouTube. Are you going to go? Well, on? I mean, it's just you know, it, and for the people there on, I, let, let's let's switch directions. You know, because Greg's story was great, but I want to know how it feels as a Jew to have YouTube tell you that you can't speak about concerns regarding censorship or tyranny or the suppression of voices or, you know, any number of things that we've seen in the past has become a huge, huge tragedy for the Jewish people, certainly from an establishment that pretends or, you know, promotes itself as being the protectorate of, of Jews or even more generally the emergence of, of, of a genocide against any people like what happened to the Jewish people. How does it, I mean, does it, how does it square that YouTube could tell you not to talk about medical tyranny or and I wasn't or really, any or anything. I wasn't really trying to talk about medical tyranny. I well, I don't even think you did talk about medical tyranny. I, you didn't. I didn't hear you mention it. But that's at least what they used to just. I mean, they could have used anything, right? And I think you know you brought some material to talk about a few Nazi doctors who who that the do, the doctors actually ran the transition of. They ran the whole deal. They ran the whole deal. But, but I mean, that's what they used to take you down. I mean, they could have used anything. I mean, right now we're at a point where YouTube's criteria for censorship is completely arbitrary. We all know it. YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, all the big tech companies, their standards for censorship are completely arbitrary. They specifically are using medical misinformation against a Jewish man. You know, they're they're really kind of uh, telling me what's really uh, important, and what's really important. And I really, I'm not I'm not in their head or in their algorithm, so I don't know what specifically drove it. But what the basic theme that I'm trying to drive as Professor Penner on the podcast for my viewers and listeners is the idea of self governance, and self governance really involves uh, well being. Because the primary driver of self-governance is being able to keep yourself functioning, and I think the 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 perceived audacity that I would have to say that I can self-govern my well-being is really in contradiction to modern life. Mm. If we go back a couple hundred years, hey, you know, a toothache could put you down, and we've. As you were saying, we've gotten so many benefits from science and from medicine. Uh, but as you were saying about Greg, he didn't want to hear the numbers. And I understand that because I'm too. exactly the same way. Me too. Because Just like I don't want to hear the numbers about I, me and you joke about this because we have a very close personal relationship. And so when I get ready to travel or I'm doing traveling around the country, we often talk for a number of reasons. But And, and you're very familiar with my uh, aversion to flying. <laughs> you know, and you know, I I meet a thousand people that say, 
Oh, you know, you know, statistically speaking, flying is the safest. Doesn't matter to me. And I said it on my podcast on Wednesday. I reject being in a hurry. I just reject being in a rush in general principle. I think when people are in a rush, when people are in a hurry, when people don't have patience, you, you make mistakes. You, you, you make yourself vulnerable. And I'm not saying that patient people aren't going to get hit by a bus that, that jumps a curb because that happens. But let's talk, if we, if we want to talk numbers, what's more likely that you're driving 30 miles per hour, doing the speed limit, paying attention to the road, both hands on the wheel, and you die in a car accident or that you're doing 150 fucking miles on a motorcycle? Which one's more? Which one's more likely? Obvious. Now we could take it down a notch. Maybe you're not on a motorcycle. Maybe you're in a Hellcat. All right, everybody loves the Hellcat. There's a huge Hellcat movement, and I'm not against a good American muscle car. I'll take a good American muscle car over a Finocchio Tesla any day. That doesn't mean I'm going to do 120 miles per hour weaving and out of traffic. I can't tell you from being on the road this summer how much stupidity I saw out there on the highways. I mean, you know, and, and I, I use the example of being in New York City, <laughs> and I said the real, the real diagnostic of the ill in our society is watching how people drive in New York City. I mean, that is the real, that is the real symptom of how sick the American culture has become. And I'm in New York City, and we're driving, I'm driving, you know, it was George Washington Bridge, it's the most traffic-filled bridge in all of America. The most traffic-filled bridge in all of America, right? Um, and I'm watching like a, a, a sort of unspoken, agreed-upon culture that nobody's going to use their fucking signals. And, and it, it's, it was so widespread that it almost seemed, um, it almost seemed ridiculous to even be really mad about it. Or to look for it to be any different. You know what I mean? Like as it went along, as I kept on down the road, I mean, the first time it happens, the second time it happens when you come from a place like Minnesota, it's like, what the fuck are you two people doing? And then you start to realize as you look at the whole You're landscape. You're in foreign territory. These people are fucking nuts. They have their own culture. Well, no, but, but my point is, yes, they have their own culture. But their culture has embraced the rush. And in embracing the rush, very, very simple things that would make them much safer have been rejected. Yet, they'll let their fucking government mandate that they take an experimental vaccine. I mean, think of the lunacy of it. You motherfuckers don't use turn signals, but you're going to take an experimental vaccine. What the fuck are we talking about? You're in a rush, and you, you, become, you get so far over the line of being in a rush, being impatient, that the most basic decisions become... Very difficult to make. I mean, basic, logical decisions. And, you know, it's the same with medicine. It's the same with families. It's the same in intimate relationships. It's the same in sports. It's the, I mean, no matter where you go, like when I'm out there on the court, people are very impressed with raw physical athletic ability, right? Speed, strength, size, right? Bigger, faster, stronger. But the best athletes have the ability to slow down the game. All right. You look at the big three, the big three will be on tomorrow, the championship. And shout out to Ice Cube and Jeff Quatnitz and everything they're doing with the big three. We didn't make it 
to the championship this year. We'll be back with a vengeance next year. I guarantee that. Um, but Joe Johnson's first year back in the league last year, he 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 stopped midseason, and he's an incredible player, eight-time NBA All-Star, still playing at 40, 41 years old, still very effective. Um, when you look at his game and, and, and his excellence, it comes from his ability to slow down the game. He uses his skill. He uses his athletic, athletic ability to dictate the terms of engagement, the rules of engagement. He uses his ability to, to dictate the pace of the game. And all the great players made the game. It looked like they were playing in slow motion. Myself, I'm, I'm one of them. A lot of people message and they say, when you play, it's very graceful, right? And, and there are moments of sheer power and explosion and strength and, and, you know, all of those things. But the best players can slow the game down. And we have like this religiosity around sports and we admire and, you know, we, we're, we've traded sports for religion. Like you're talking about real traditional faith. Sports is the new religion, which is why I'm hesitant to even really um, give sports props because there's no shortage of, of <laughs> you know, idolization of sports anyway. Um, but we don't even, you know, we don't even take that part of it. It's like even where our attention is, we're getting brainwashed to to not see the the real beauty and the benefit, the well-being that could come out of whatever it is that we're dealing with. Cars are great. I mean, if you if you don't think cars are a great invention, right? Try riding a fucking horse down to Kansas City. <laughs> and you know, and I said, "Hey, I I, I wouldn't mind riding a horse to Kansas City. I mean, horses can be dangerous too, and the great outdoors can be dangerous just in general." I wouldn't mind walking places. Uncle Alfred, who we, we joke about maybe being a Satanist, was infamous for going on long walks because he was a Quaker. And the Quaker culture is a very walking, you know, natural way, egalitarian culture. So he was a walker. He would walk from here to his hometown in Duluth. He would take his students at the U of M to walk to Duluth, okay? This was early 1900s anyway. I mean, 1920s, 19, you know, 10s. So that that, that wasn't, that was odd at the time, but it wasn't like automobiles were where they are now. Certainly, you don't have Finocchio EV vehicles, but I don't mind walking. I wouldn't mind taking a horse, but a car is a good, a good notch in the evolution of science and technology. Why, if I can drive six hours down to Kansas City, do I need to go to the airport, deal with TSA, who's running a scam that they need to rub my crotch because of radical Islamic terrorists in the Middle East and, and, and take two fucking hours to get through security checkpoints to fly 600 miles per hour through the air at 30,000 feet to get to fucking Kansas City. I mean, the level of... And, and now I'm at the point where my, my vision of the whole picture is so, you know, so on target I hold no quarter for these people who would do it. You know, it's not just like a simple uh, understanding of, the, you know, their lack of insight. It's like a contempt. I have a certain contempt for it. Like if you would rather fly to Kansas City six hours from Minneapolis than drive, you're a fucking asshole probably in some form or fashion. I mean, I don't know. I don't know how exactly. Just in general principle, either you're a fucking sheep or you're a serious fucking narcissistic asshole that you have to get there, that, you know, what is it? It'll be about five hours quicker, right? 
when it all said and done? I don't know. You go to the airport two hours early. No, it's not 40, quicker. It's not quicker. It's not even quicker when it's all said and done. It's not. But the time traveled might be, I mean, you know, you're up in the flight from here to Kansas City. You're probably up in the air 45 minutes. You got to go to the airport an hour, uh, hour and a half early. Probably take you 30 minutes to get your bags. Another 40 minutes to drive to the hotel, 30 minutes to drive to a hotel anyway. It's very little time. Traffic, you know, whatever, get stopped and getting something to eat. It all, it's the same time, right? A little bit quicker. But you're willing to put your fucking lives in the hands of a technology and a science that you don't even fucking understand. I mean, we all know how cars work. They got wheels, the gas creates the ignition, the energy, the fuel's burning. And we're we're riding along right there, like you could have a you could have a you could have a fucking uh, a Hellcat, or you could have a a, a, a well polished hemp seed carton buggy. We know how fucking wheels work, right? There's something radically, radically unnatural about being thirty five thousand feet in the air, going six hundred miles per hour. And it was, you know, I, I'm sorry, I'm ranting here. We got fucking time. This podcast is going to go. I love, I love this conversation today. It dawned on me. I was talking to Glenn Rice Jr. Okay. Okay. You know Glenn. That, David knows Glenn Rice Jr. well. Shout out to my boy, Glenn Rice Jr. That's my, that's my, that's my brother right there. And it dawned on me. Because <laughs> me and Glenn, you know, our relationship is different. We don't really talk politics and philosophy and science and culture like that. When me and Glenn get together, it's just, hey, we got a game this weekend. We got to go play against whoever it is. How we going to do it? What we going to do? Right? It's basketball, right? And it dawned on me just how how right this conversation is cuz Glenn goes, "Man, they only letting us come in one day before the game. It needs to at least be two days before the game. 3 days before the game, but really 2 days would be cool and I go I go why what you mean? I said, you know, I agree with you. But what do you mean? He's like, man, my body needs at least a, a little bit of time to figure out what just happened. Right? And he's talking about, and he said, my body going 530 miles per hour through the air. My body's got to figure out what just happened. That's funny. <laughs> That's fine. You know, uh for Glenn, I mean it's 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 it was really it's insightful. A, it's a feeling for him. Yes. He's broken it down. He's so sensitive. And I have to say this because if yeah, he's watching, yeah. he will remember me. And I want to give him my respect because I think he made the best defensive play I've ever seen. Yeah. Last year's uh, yes. playoffs. Yeah, that's right. He yeah. was, he lost that play and supernaturally came back and won the day. Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. Blocked, yeah. That kind of sensitivity. And I think the kind of sensitivity that I have, that I know you have, when you can actually feel things that other people can't feel. They're going to say, you're crazy. Right. And I'm going to say, practice on your feelings. One of the big things I'm working on with my audience is we're way too overbalanced into the intellectual. It's become an an over-intellectualized society. We're digitized. Yeah. I just saw a thing with- No physical feeling. No no physical intuition. No no spatial genius. It's been eliminated Mm. because you can get on an airplane- Passively sit down in this chair, yeah, yeah, and then you arrive someplace else, like you've been teleported. What about people's general sense of direction? Remember, remember, like I grew up, my my mom for years. Maybe I like being on the in the, on the, maybe I like being on the road because I grew up with a single mother, right? And whether it was my mother or my grandmother, they both lived 
places that weren't very close to where they worked. So whether I was in the car with grandma or I was in the car with grandma or even my grandfather, my grandfather was the director, uh, uh, worked for, uh, he was the director of Park and Rec for Richfield, but he lived in St. Paul, right? Um, he lived in other places too at, at different times, but he, a lot of times he lived in St. Paul. So that's a little bit of a drive. My grandmother, she worked at the attorney general's office. She lived in West St. Paul which is a little bit closer, but, you know, still a hike, Invergrove Heights, West St. Paul. Um, then she worked in South Minneapolis, but still lived in West St. Paul. My mom lived downtown St. Paul, worked in Edina on 50th and France. She worked at um, Spillan Montage as, as an uh, esthetician. So no matter what it was, whether it was going to drop mom off at work or getting my way from mom's job to from school or day or after school program or to sports, I was always in the car, right? And when you're in the car like that, for me at least, I learned the back streets. It's something that you call, you know, it's known as taking the back streets, right? Knowing the back streets, knowing your way around the place that you live, having a real familiarity with it, and just having that general sense of direction. Like, think, oh, no, if I, get, if I get over here, I can make my way there. I think this is why I got my episode taken down. Okay. I think the, if I could... Well, I hope we're up. Hey, we're on Rumble. We're on X. Episode 50 is on Rumble, by the way. It is. For all of and, you listeners. You can all, go see what they all, took him down for. And for all the Please Call Me Crazy listeners, we're everywhere. Yeah. You know, we don't want to be dependent on anything. And we're going to get bigger, too. That's, we're going to put more content out soon. But that, go ahead. But I think the reason, when I listened to what I said, mm -hmm. I said, if you, you know, since I've been using Google Maps, I become dependent on Google Maps. You know, when I was young, it was go to the church, take a right. You're going to see a big elm tree. Take a left. You'll come to the lake. Go around the lake. Okay, we can't do that anymore. Yeah. We've lost that. Can't remember phone numbers anymore. Right. That's the next thing. I And I said that on the podcast. My short-term memory is affected by my dependency on my contact list. Do you think you come from the intellectual tradition? You were you You went to... Um, I don't know if you want to say that or not on the podcast. You went to a very prestigious college. Yes, I did. Before you dropped out and decided to run your own business and become a a, a, a shopkeeper. Right. Right. Um, but you're familiar with this intellectual tradition. Do you think that the intellectual elites, that the academic elites of our country, have the 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 vision or the or the scope of of um, social engineering? to have ushered in the evolution of technology to do that specifically? Or do you think it happened um, organically? Oh, well, that, this is something I can speak to because I have the visual evidence. We can play it. Herman Kahn. Herman Kahn. Great. The Hudson Institute. Hudson Valley Institute. It was a think tank. was established in the 1950s. Herman Kahn, Herman Kahn is on YouTube. They didn't take it down. And when this kind of sh stuff is up there, Piss on you, tell you it's raining. That's exactly correct. Mm -hmm. They're serving you dog shit, and they're telling you it's caviar, right? It's actually up there where he's talking about the whole technology development from 1960 up till today. Mm -hmm. He's talking about all the technology, surveillance technologies. He even says, we got to develop a technology where, you know, we can put a whole city to sleep because we got people that are putting sand in the gears. That was his words. And guess who he picked? is putting sand in the gears. Black people. The Black Panthers. They're great. 
Right. Great. And, you know, he actually laid out the whole, te- and having studied this. Herman Kahn. Herman Kahn is the is the Black the, Panthers are the problem. Well, Herman Kahn is the is the character that Doctor Strangelove right. was based on in the famous right. 1963 movie. Right. And uh, his intellectual tradition goes his neocon intellectual tradition comes right into the current day. I and when you're asking me, do they know it? Oh, they know it. Now, does the high school teacher know it? No. But this elite group that is, and we have a, always a struggle for the steering wheel. Is it, going to be the, is it going to be the intellectuals that drive or is it going to be the business people that drive? That's the big fight. The politicians, they're just there to amuse us. That's like going to WWE wrestling. E, yeah, WWE. It's BS. Formerly WWF. It's just BS. There's really nothing to that. That's just to distract us. Like Democrats and Republicans, a distraction. Mm-hmm. North and the South, man and woman, whatever the polarity is, it's a distraction to divide us. And the people that are really fighting for control are the very wealthy and the intellectuals. Mm -hmm. And the intellectuals, of course, are winning. We don't recognize that they're winning. I'll give you a perfect example. I went this past week to a lecture, uh, and uh, the guy's name is Isaacson. And he was a former director of CNN. He gave a beautiful lecture on creativity. There was a thousand Minneapolitans there, the wealthiest people in, the, in, the, in, in, our, in our local area. And he gave a beautiful lecture. And it had nothing to do with who the guy is. The guy was the director of the Aspen Institute for years, which is a really premier globalist uh, think tank, think tank. Yeah. just like the Hudson Institute, just like... You know, it's funded by the Ford Foundation, the Rockefeller Foundation. I mean, mm-hmm. that's who he is. And I, I started looking around, and I, I found out that at the Aspen Institute when he was there, Bob Kagan was there. Bob Kagan is a neocon's neocon. His brother is a neocon neocon. Bob Kagan is married to Victoria Nuland, who's the assistant secretary of state that's organizing our Ukraine policy. I mean, it's so inbred. We're sitting here, down here in the grassroots, and they call it the grassroots because they walk on us, right? That's why they call us the grassroots, or at least that's going to be my theory. They call me a grassroot because they're going to step on me, right? <laughs> if I was an American, if they called me an American citizen, maybe they couldn't get their boot down on me quite so easily. But if I'm a grassroot, hey, just beat me down, okay? We don't recognize what a small group of intellectuals are at the top end of the trough. The father of the Kagans was born in Lithuania. He was a noted Greek classicist scholar, taught for years at our most elite ac- academic institutions. Mm. These are Jewish people, right? Back to the Jewish thing. These are anti-Jews. Yes, and I'm going to tell you, these people are virulently anti-Russian. Newland, the Kagans, they're neocons. Okay. Let me just now. I don't know this about their thing. Do you think their anti-Russian sentiment stems from? Do you think the anti-Russian sentiment has anything to do with the communist Jewish movement? That that are these communist uh, anti-Jews that came out of Russia, defected out of Russia? during the the Bolshevik Revolution in that whole era and now are retaliating back against 
what they view as a nationalist Russian culture? Or are these are these are these communists that adopted communism later and they're going back against Russia because they what? They're my communism's better than yours? Or what the fuck is going on here? I'm gonna say this is very much You know because you're Ukrainian. I'm Ukrainian. Okay. So, so help me. It's like Brzezinski. Let's cover the Brzezinskis, which is Zygmunt Brzezinski, a Polish, very important uh, figure in the history of this country, maybe the fun, the fundamental writer of the the uh, technocracy or the fourth industrial revolution. In the in the '60s, he was writing about mm -hmm. it. He was the, the national post World War II democratic liberal order. He was a national security advisor under Carter. He's been usually influential. His daughter is Mika Brzezinski. She's on the number one you know, kind of mouthpiece of the New World Order, which is Morning Joe. His son is amb U.S. ambassador right now to Poland. To Poland. I mean, that is that is the confrontation. That's where the next problem is getting ready to happen over there in that war. Yeah. So let's just talk about the Brzezinskis and the Kagans in one Tinderbox. That's the Tinderbox. And, and the Brzezinskis were not Jewish. Right. In fact, they didn't like Jews. Right. I mean, I'm going to just say that's my opinion. I'm entitled to an opinion. Just looking at how Brzezinski was very anti-Israel. He was one of the first anti-Israel mm -hmm. uh, diplomats that were working for our government. But we're willing to, we're willing to, but at, at the same time, as many people are anti-black, are willing to use black Jewish identity as needed for a bigger agenda. They'll use anything for their agenda. Okay. Whatever it is. Whatever it is. Whatever. Anyhow. Doesn't mean they like you. Doesn't mean they love you. Doesn't mean they want to protect you or keep you safe. Means to an end. That's right. Okay. I agree with that. Completely agree. Okay. With that. So Brzezinski doesn't really like care for the Jews much either. And but the Kagans and the Brzezinskis, I think. Do you think that's true though? I mean, Kissinger was, is his is his Kissinger is his is his teacher. Uh, Brzezinski was his own force. Right, but and Kissinger had, is Sifu. Do you think he was just putting on that he was he was anti-Israel to keep it look there's you know, keep a it lot looking balanced? of anti-Semitism amongst the Poles. I will say, with a cultural memory of the region, there's a crescent that goes right from the Baltic states, Estonia, Lithuania, and Latvia, Eastern Bloc, coming down into Poland and mm -hmm. down into the Ukraine. That crescent, which was the the demarcation between the European part and, of the Eurasian landmass and, and the Asian part of the Euro right, of the of right, the Eurasian right. landmass that was the fault line at the bottom you had the muslims down in U Yugoslavia at the time or Subria, Serbia and that you know you had a, a a conflagration there of uh Jewish people in diaspora you had the slavs you had the germans it was the that's where everything came together ultra epicenter oh unbelievable mm -hmm. anyhow mm -hmm. anti-semitism was a characteristic of all those countries. And I'm not going to sit here and say Brzezinski was an anti-Semite. I'm going to say that he evidenced under, under Carter, during the Carter administration, the first willingness to criticize Israel and to drag America more towards the Arabs and to the Arab bloc and to start to question Israel. Okay, and, now, now, but wait, before you go down, let's, let's work this out. Okay. I know how the history was presented. I I, I know the history. Okay. okay. But let, let's let's venture off into speculation land here. Because oh, now opinion land. Ex post facto, you can see something real, real pervasive and shady 
went down with petrodollar, our relationship with the Saudis, and the inception of Israel. I mean, the whole thing goes down in about two decades, which is a blink of an eye, right? Between the time when Israel is is created, I mean, the first ten years is a wash. You can't forty eight, nineteen forty. You can't even really count the first ten years, though. Right. I mean, the first 10 Well, if you're Jewish, you're counting it because it was a well, miracle. And if, and if you're the surrounding Arab nations. You're counting that too. Okay, but I'm saying on the geo, the, the bigger geopolitical ramifications. Blink of an eye. Blink, blink of an, an eye. eye. Okay, so from 58 now to about 73, when when Nixon and, and Kissinger go in and, and, you know, gold standard, petrodollar, uh, China is the great new. The whole, the whole post World War II democratic liberal order really takes its balls out, you know, and 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 you know, does a good tug in front of the whole country while the, the whole world's watching. Okay, blink of an eye. Ex post facto. Are we? What what is the foreign policy? I mean, the the, the foreign policy from the word go has always been very um, contradictory around our relationship with the Saudis and our protection of Israel. Because on the surface, people would have you believe, some people would have you believe, many people, let's say, would have you believe that the Saudis have a natural animus towards the Israelis. Now you got the Saudis and the Iranians finally coming back together to link up under the BRICS unification, and Israel's not in it. Although you could look at Israel and China's economic relationship as being very symbiotic, if you want to say that, very amenable to one another. What the fuck is going on over here? I want to go back to the beginning. What the fuck is happening here? Because to me, it seems like when Brzezinski goes off on this, well, you know, maybe we're a little too pro-Israel, it might have not really been... It might not have been that in the first place. I mean, what is going on? How do we square... And I'm just asking. I don't really have an opinion on this because, I mean, I have my own opinion. But I'm just asking genuinely what you think. What is going on here but with our relationship with the, petro, the, the Saudis and the petrodollar and this, this cultural narrative that every Muslim will show up on the doorstep of Israel and, 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 and blow it to, to rubble if, we, if we're not there to protect it? I mean, in one sense, you could say, let's say it this way, culturally— Israel is the linchpin of the entire New World Order, culturally, from a narrative standpoint. I mean, militarily also. Ultimately, well, militarily. No, militarily. The militarily, petro- every time the United States comes to a moment, a node, where we're going to say as American people, wow, we can't afford to be in this war with the Ukrainians. Mm-hmm. We can't do this. We're going broke. We're not winning. Mm-hmm. There's going to be these voices that are going to say, if we don't defend the Ukrainians, Taiwan's going to go. Israel's going to go. Oh, that's the but that's going to be the last argument. The last argument's going to be is we can't withdraw from these security relationships right. because we're not going to be able to defend Israel. It's always going to be about Israel. That's why I look at the Ukrainian theater and I say, okay, could be nuclear war. I look at the Taiwanese, I say, okay, South China Sea, could be nuclear war. But when we get right down to it, when the curtain gets pulled back, it's going to be about Israel. Okay. Militarily, okay, but also militarily, you can make a strong argument that the petrodollar is the linchpin of this whole Kissinger. It's the linchpin of our economy. Of our our economy, it is. And the two are working at the same time. 
The, okay, the, go back. Go back to Brzezinski. Well, okay. Brzezinski, I just want to throw that out there for you to think about. I want to go back to Kagan and Brzezinski. Okay, go ahead. Because you've got this, this, this crescent of intense anti-Semitism, cultural anti-Semitism, which is really not that hard to understand because you have a diaspora community that comes into all these countries and they're outsiders. They're not of the place. And they did see, the uh, historically, the Poles and a lot of those other Eastern European countries did see um, the terrors of the, the Bolshevik or communist movement, which got fenced as being Jewish, at least. Well, before culture. that even happened, these were kingdoms. And the Jews, being the outsiders who were the victims of discrimination, mm -hmm. sought a way to overturn what they viewed as the victimizers. Which goes all the way back to the Roman Empire. Exactly. Where the actual, even the Christians have, this is why a lot of the Christians and evangelicals have such a strong protection over the, 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 the Jews in Israel is because in reality, when the Jews after Christ is, is killed, there's a, there's a, there's a hundred year period where Christians which really didn't exist yet as an identity, are still being persecuted by the Roman Empire as Jews. Believed in Christ. Believed in right. one God. Let's put it right. that way. If you, if you were Jewish, if you believed in Christ, if you whatever it was, if you were believed in one God, if you believed in the Abrahamic God, you were getting persecuted by you the Romans. You know who won that argument? The one God won it. Oh, for sure. But it was a little bit more complicated than we're taught. To go back to the go back to Brzezinski first. <laughs> okay, great. Go, go. Then we'll get to... The Roman-Jewish war and how... You got Kagan and you got Brzezinski. And I'm talking about not Bob Kagan. I'm talking about the father. Yeah, Kagan, Bob's he, father. He immigrated from Lithuania mm -hmm. because he had to, not because he wanted to. He had to boogie out of there because the anti-Semitism from the Russians, from the native Lithuanians and from the Germans was all the same to him. It didn't matter where he turned. He didn't have a place to perch. So he left. And he left with a natural uh, predisposition to be anti-Russian because the Russians had, the Soviet had occupied those Baltic states and had, you know, had put in a, an authoritarian government there to control those people. Mm. No different than Brzezinski family had to leave Poland because Poland was cut up during World War II and then became part of the Soviet bloc at the end of World War II. Because the Russians left troops in Germany. The Russians took over Poland. It was yeah. part of the Iron but Curtain the, But the Soviets' power or, or uh, their their um, territory extended all the way to Germany. All the way that, to East Germany. All the way to East Germany. So the Polish people were subjects of the Soviet Union. And so these people, the Brzezinski's, the Kagan's, they got out of there. They came to the United States, to the land of flowing with milk and honey. But they came with a predisposition to anti-Russian policy. So in the case of Brzezinski, relative to this uh, uh, Muslim Arab thing, you know, when the Soviets uh, attacked and occupied Afghanistan, it was Brzezinski who was very much a part of organizing the Mahajadeen, which were the precursors of Al-Qaeda, to throw the Russians out, or the Soviets, well, they were the Russians, to throw them out of Afghanistan. He was he was a national security security advisor during that period. The Kagans, the Kagans came with a huge predisposition towards anti-Russian thinking. 
Mm-hmm. And, you know, this Bob Kagan, he's married to Victoria Newland. I mean, you're talking about what kind of marriage is that? Come on. I mean, who are these it's people? It's like an arranged matchmaker of globalism. It is. It is. It, it <laughs> totally is. Globalist matchmaker going on in the shadows here? Well, it, it No, they just came up under the same... They, they, under they, the system. Yeah. And I said this on that yeah. pop, podcast, which they took down. This could be why they took it down. Because you talked about Newland. No, because I said, you know, I never talk about Steve Bannon, but I said I want to give Steve Bannon props because he has a beautiful line. He says, it's not a conspiracy. It's the way the system works. And I think that is a wonderful uh, characterization of where we're at as the American people. And I said, Steve, I've given you props. Now can I get props from you? Because the system is slavery, drugs, and piracy. So that is our contribution to this, to this dialogue. But these, these Jewish people, the Kagans, the Brzezinski's, and thousands, hundreds of thousands of other Jews who had given up being Jewish because they were poor, discriminated against, they mm-hmm. became involved in the communist and the labor movements mm-hmm. and the anti-Catholic movements because they viewed the crown and the, the Catholic church as co-conspirators in that corruption of that time, which they were seeking to overthrow. They had to get out of there because they were getting killed. They came over here and they brought all that with them. They brought it into our East Coast intellectual tradition. Atlanticists. Well, but at the same time, which is kind of funny, our government imported thousands of Nazis at the same time <laughs> into the same institutions. Mm-hmm. And I, I want to say something, and I know I'm going to get into trouble for it. Great. The best way, if you see six million of your fellow countrymen killed, to avoid being killed is to join the people that are killing you. Sell out. Sell out all the way. And that is globalism. Probably gonna probably have to watch this on Rumble. Drug slavery piracy. 2.0. And the piracy part, once you when you you Stockholm, you go with the people who are killing you. Yeah, because that's the best defense. And that's exactly right next to them. And this goes right into the Israel thing of how Israel has become. And I said it before, the crown, the crown. You know, whether you look, you know, and, you know, everybody and Alex does a great job. I think Alex, one of the guys does a great job. But there's there's this contingent over on the right that just gets hung up on on the Jews, the Jews, the Jews, the Jews. I mean, it's just like you and I, we can sit here and talk about the pitfalls and failures of 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 the Jewish people. You know, you from a cultural standpoint, me from a faith standpoint. And and yeah, that exists. They're just missing one word. They're just missing one idea. Anti-Jews. Right, they're not Jewish. I've said right. this with but, you but before. Yeah, before you even go, that, 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 that'll get you censored right there. I mean, I can say anti-Jews; they might not censor me. But when a Jewish man comes out and says there are Jews amongst us who are very anti-Jewish, it seems to rattle everybody's cages. Just like for me to say that there are angry, fat, resentful black women that hate black men, people just are triggered by that. They're like, that doesn't fit the narrative. Um, but, but. There's, some, there's something over on the right that gets caught up in this, and it's a very recent, recent history that we can look back on after World War II, or even if you want to go back to the, the late 1800s, early 1900s, there's a very recent history of post-colonial civilization all, all across the world. And you got two sort of entities. You got the crown, which is the greatest, still, the, the, in my opinion, the single greatest empire in human history that we know of. 
that we know of, right? Biggest reach. The sun never sets on the British Empire. The sun never sets on the British Empire. So you got the British Empire, and you got this sort of uh, banking, you know, elite that's that's commissioned, created by under the under the rule of the British Empire, which is just a fact. I mean, the Rothschild, and as soon as you say Rothschild, people lose it. They're like, that's the conspiracies, guys. It's written history. It's not a conspiracy. They created central banking. They created the Fed. The central banking thing is of their creation, but not theirs alone. And it's not participated in by them alone. And this is what this is the case I make right now about people who get caught up on the on the Jews, the Jews, the Jews. It's like anybody who takes that fiat currency, anybody who signs the deal, anybody like me who plays in the NBA that is predominantly run by a bunch of anti-Jews, right? You and I, we talk about that all the time. But any of you black bourgeoisie Negroes who signed the contract and agree to not speak on certain issues like China because you signed a dotted line, you're just as culpable as whoever you say coerced you to do it. And all these radical right white nationalists, let's just call it, I hate to call it that because I don't think there's anything dirty about the, the, the word nationalist, black nationalist, white nationalist, any nationalist, but... But for lack of a better term, that's what they're fenced as, white nationalists. And some of them do exist, and they're just caught up on the Jews. It's like, well, I mean, if you want to if, if you wanna say that you were coerced, it kind of cucks you, don't it? I mean, it, it's, it, it's kind of a, a, a level of cuckery to admit in the public <laughs> that the entire white male race here in America— was coerced, or, or the whole Western world, that the entire Westphalian nation state, the entire idea of the Westphalian nation state is undermined by a group of international banksters. Makes you a pussy. I'm not willing to admit that. See, when I talk to the black folks in the neighborhood, all you signed the fucking deal. Don't talk about the Jewish banker who, who, who gave you the papers Convenience. to sign. You fucker signed it. Convenient. And, and the other thing about it is they told you the fucking terms, motherfucker. Don't act like they didn't tell you the terms. You didn't read the terms for convenience. Just like when I'm on my phone and I want to use Facebook and I get that prompt that says you got to update the terms and conditions. And instead of scrolling through in a hundred, now the I agree. I agree. Now the flip side of that coin is the flip side. An argument that they make that's decent is whoever's prompting you with the agreement is intentionally making it unreadable, or that they've monopolized certain industries or markets to make it so that you really can't choose to not live within the parameters of that agreement. So with that being said, now let's talk about Israel. Now let's talk about the geopolitics or the Ukraine. Now let's talk about how do we walk out of it? You know, there's, there's, and we're talking about self-governance. That's why I brought it up. Is there a point with which it becomes difficult to self-govern when all of the necessary and essential resources are monopolized by certain people? No, you just have to not consent. Okay. I don't consent. I personally do not consent. Right. And it's all about balance. You know, if the people that were creating the convenience were pro-human, pro-family, pro-God people, I think convenience would be just wonderful. Great. But when the people that are setting the convenience up 
are anti-God, anti-human, and anti-family. Anti-freedom. Anti-freedom, yeah. then we got an issue. So it's not the idea of convenience or our institutions. We've been hijacked, hijacked, and we've been so dumb about it. You know, there's a handful of people that were screaming about the John Birch Society. They were screaming about it in the 50s. They had a long view. They knew where we were headed. Yeah. And how was they that? were right. They were right. The John it. Birch Society was right. Well, you have to look at You some. know how many black people, you know how many people who vote Democrat have been convinced that the John Birch Society is far right, white supremacy, conspiracy the theory? The Jewish people are too. They're like. It's crazy. I'm like, are you guys reading what these people were writing? It's right there. It all ha it all came true. Because, because the people that were running the deal were actually are patient enough to read the literature, recognize the threat of anyone that would come up and say, that's too convenient. We need to maintain the difficulty of life. Maybe we need to grow our own food. As a safeguard. Not as a safeguard, as a way of life. No, but I mean that a, keeping a degree of difficulty in society, in your culture... Is a safeguard. Is a safeguard against the vulnerability of impatience. Which is not any different... It's like, it's like, it's like Miyagi, right? He doesn't, he doesn't show Daniel's son the roundhouse kick on day one of training. He makes, he makes wax him... Wax off on... Wax, wax on, on wax, wax off. off. Right. He shows him the discipline of patience first before he teaches them the skill, gives which, them the fruit. Which I just, because we're going to lose this, the word patience, mm -hmm. when you put people go into the hospital, they're a patient. That's the thing that's lost. Everyone, when they get sick, they want to recover immediately as fast as they can so they can go back to their sinful ways. Mm. Actually, being patient means waiting until you're well. And, you know, going back to the Mr. Miyagi culture, mm -hmm. the Shaolin priests believe that when they do something that is not correct, they must go into the kitchen and wash dishes until balance is restored to their soul. If that means they wash dishes for 20 years, hey, that's what they do. Because for them, that relationship between themselves and the supernatural outweighs all of their concerns. Mm. But that's not how we're raised. We're raised in a material uh, mindset, overbalanced to the digital. That's why I think that that episode went off, because what I'm really saying... Capitalism yeah. is the bastard son of digital, digital materialism, is or, what you're saying. Or vice versa. And that the technocrats, and I said this on my podcast, I don't know why we, we've accepted that these technocratic elites are advancing technology so, uh, solely for our benefit. It has a capitalist, it has a crony capitalist veil right over the front of it. I mean, they're hanging it right out for everybody to see. I think for the American people that are listening, citizens that care, they, they listen to you because you make a big effort to draw out the importance of our American citizenship. Mm -hmm. We need to read. We need to be patient enough to read, to read, just to start. And what I say is, and, and I was saying it with this Kagan thing with this Walter Isaacson, I didn't know that Kagan worked for Walter Isaacson or that Kagan was married. Well, I kind of knew he was married to Victoria Newland, mm -hmm. but when I actually mm -hmm. confirmed it, 
you, you start looking at all these connections. Well, they're not hiding these connections. And you start to look at them and you go, well, this is not evidence of any crime, but we sure got a lot of criminals hanging out together. <laughs> right? Yeah. You know? I mean, if it was a court of law, if you create a, if they open a RICO investigation and you and I are implicated and it's we, a, both, we both have a history of criminality, it's not hard for them to pull me into the, into the. That's correct. Into the and, indictment. And, and I don't want to, I want this to go up on YouTube. So I'm not saying they're criminals. Like I have eight by 10 glossies of criminal activity, but their mindset, the, the Atlanticist mindset. Or no, that, well, yeah, no, first off, let's be clear. The promulgation of the Iraq war was a crime. That oh, they, was, that was a crime K against humanity. The Kagans were at the center uh, of I know, that. Of, of course they were. That, that was a crime against humanity, for sure. That was an international war crime. And everybody's got to be very clear about that. I even heard Donald Trump say it, you know. And I'm not, you know, of course he said it because he's railing against the establishment and their narrative and the neocon narrative, which is the Bushes. But really, before the Bushes, it was Brzezinski and Kagan and Khan and all these. This goes back to World War One. This goes back to World War One. You got to know the history. And, and you know, reading is, we say reading is, is so important. You know, I had to investigate Maui on the side of my head at the big three, and it caused a shitstorm. I mean, from asshole to appetite, people are up, you know, whether you're, I saw a lot of Democrats and liberals and, and people who are traditionally would be, would reject anything I have to say on the face of political uh, polar, uh, polarization. But a lot of Democrats don't believe we're being told everything about what's happening in Maui. But I, I say that because Steve and I talked a lot about me putting Investigate Maui on my head before that last game, or we discussed it at least. And uh, I ran another a number of other options by him, and we talked about it back and forth. You and I talked about it back and forth a little bit. Um, and uh, <laughs> it's funny, you know, when I said Investigate Maui, or, or you know, when, when we say Investigate Maui, people automatically assume we mean a formal investigation from the DOJ or said, uh, uh, you know, agencies. I mean, you investigate. Like, you investigate. Think about it. And I saw one person in the comments, one person had taken the picture of me saying investigate Maui, put it, posted it somewhere else online. And he was like, this guy knows what's going on. Royce knows what's going on, and he's dead. He's spot on. We need to investigate. And one of the top comments underneath the post was, but who should investigate the DOJ? Question mark. I mean, there's sort of this pessimistic culture that's growing that we've given up so much power, there's nothing left to do. Dependency. And the guy came right back and said exactly what I was thinking. He said, who should investigate? You. You. You, you, motherfucker. Right. You investigate. Turn over a couple of rocks. It takes like two or three clicks <laughs> yes. and you're going to go, wow. Every one of you, as we, and it's funny that these people are claimed to be constitutional conservatives a lot of times, or Republicans or, or, or nationalists. We, the people, are the power in the country. You have the right to investigate and bring your uh, investigative findings to the court of public opinion and in the way that you choose to engage in the civic process. I don't know where we lost that. I mean, it, why, are you, why are you relying on the, the DOJ? The Flintstones. But we the, lost it with the Flintstones. They, this is why they hate Alex Jones. 
Because Alex, jo- Alex Jones has the balls to say, I'm going to investigate this myself. I don't give a fuck what Mika says. Now, partly I don't give a fuck what Mika says because anything that came from Zigbenu's ball sack, we should distrust. That's my opinion. Anything that has to do with the ball sack of Zygmunt Brzezinski, we should distrust until further, until proven different, okay? Mika, from the loins of Zygmunt, shouldn't trust her, okay? I don't trust anything she says. And her brother, Mark, is the U.S. ambassador to Poland. And the Poles are massing troops at the border of the Ukraine, getting ready to enter the Ukraine when the Ukrainian government collapses, triggering a NATO engagement with Russia. Proceed. The most dangerous moment of this conflict is coming. Now, I do notice, okay. and I wish that the listeners and viewers would organize all over the country. Tens of thousands of people are going to watch this. Where, where's the protest? You know, these people are threatening our lives. Uh, you know, I was alive during the Vietnam era. You, you couldn't go to a university half the time because there'd be 10,000 students out on the quad protesting. People were protesting. They were engaged. Right now, people are not engaged. And this is a far greater threat to the survival of the American people than the Vietnam War was. There was zero possibility of the Vietnam War squirreling out of control and leading to a nuclear confrontation. Zero. And I, I have a, I have a new, a new uh, spin on this. Okay. When I was a young man, there was no prohibition against smoking cigarettes. Everybody smoked. Everybody wore hats, too. Got Frank on your arm. Frank had a hat on. Francis Albert Sinatra. And people smoked, and they wore their hats and their suits, and it was a stylish period of time. And then all of a sudden, for some reason, the powers that be said, oh, smoking's terrible for you. Mm. And it got regulated. If it was so bad for us, why isn't it illegal? You know, like killing people is illegal, allegedly. But it's not illegal. It's regulated. It's regulated, which means the government profits from cigarettes. I think war is very similar. The United Nations was formed to make sure there was never another world war, which means war became a regulated industry, which means governments can profit from it, which means it's part of the revenue stream. And this particular war, it's a little different because the Russians and the Chinese have said, you know, this regulation thing, it's regulation for us and not for you. We want to renegotiate the split. So the chance is that this could go out of control. And there's no protest amongst the American people. And I'm protesting. I'm protesting. I do not think that our government should be backing up these Ukrainians. And you can see the Ukrainian army is, is, is starting to dissolve. And when there is no Ukrainian army there to oppose the Russians, we're going to be, remember that letter to Vladimir Putin? Mm-hmm. We're going to be depending, we will be depending on Putin not to move further into the Ukraine. That he'll stop and call for negotiation. Because if he comes into the Ukraine, if there's a void there, or the Poles come across that border, because after all, it's fantastic farmland. I mean, what are we fighting over here? We're fighting over food. If the Poles come across that border and there's a confrontation between the Russians and the Poles, we're going to have a NATO member at war with the Russians, and that triggers... Which would be, which would be illegitimate still, because as, as be, you know, 
the Poles weren't, weren't originally supposed to be in NATO either. Well, they are now. But originally, the, the, the agreement with Gorbachev was that they wouldn't. This was right? Brzezinski's brilliance. Okay, I'm going to undo the things that were put in place by James Baker. I'm going to start pushing, pushing for the expansion of NATO eastward. I think there's 14 or 18 companies countries that have joined NATO mm-hmm. and they're right on the Russian border. And it's just, I mean, now they have prima facie evidence that these people want to do harm to the Russian people. So they want to go to war. We are at war. Well, yeah. I mean, when you put a, when you put, well, listen, <laughs> let, let, let me, let me, let me try and extend of olive, olive branch here of, of sanity. If you come to my neighborhood, my block, where I live, and you start to cook methamphetamine in the basement next door, I mean, hey, you know, you like a little hit of, of, of glass or meth or now they got Trank on the streets, a zombie drug. That's real fucking scary. Trank is, I don't even know what that's got to be. That's got to be a... a it's a Chinese invention. It's got to be a, yeah. It's got to be a government-manufactured, uh, you know, variant to, to, to drugs. Because it's, it's it's in everything now, Trank. But anyway, um, you know, you, you want to do meth in your house? I get it. But as soon as I start to be able to smell that meth, that, that smell seep out, or as soon as you start doing it on your back porch, and my kids are exposed to it, as soon as you start using it, and you, and your and your meth zombies are walking out on the street now, and I gotta cross their their high knotted off bodies as I go to my fucking car. Now we're in a little bit of a skirmish between your residence and my residence, right? I mean, that's just basic laws of human organization. You've now crossed into my territory. I don't know if people have ever come across a tiger in the jungle. Most of you haven't, but I mean, a tiger's territory is big. And you crossing that territory and that tiger gets sent to you, catches wind of you, he's going to come have a negotiate. He's going to come have a talk with you, right? What the fuck are you doing here? I might eat you. I might maul you, get you off my territory, or get you walking in another direction, or just prove a point. This is my territory. I don't know how it's going to go down. Why on earth do did we ever think it would be appropriate in our relationship with Russia or the stability of peace around the world to have bioweapon labs in the Ukraine. This is not conspiracy theory. And then let me let me make this perfectly clear. The whole world's at biological war right now. We're we're in a we are in a world war. A a, a biological world war already. We're in it now. We're we're this we've crossed the line. We are now in a full scale biological war. That might have gotten my episode take down. I said the same thing. I'm not quite sure what I said that took it down, but I said we're in a biological, radiological, and chemical war. And, and, the, and the starting point, the marker for the starting point is if you ever have two governments, two nations, two cities, two gangs, two people that are at odds, that are in defense against one another, I mean, they have guns pointed at each other or certain defense deterrents set up against one another, which we have with multiple nations, whether it's satellites or anti-missile defense, defense systems or naval, uh, uh, naval, um, you know, naval ships, whatever it is, 
boots on the ground, you know, military outposts, bases, NATO bases, whatever it is. If you have two countries, two different groups with guns pointed at each other in a defensive manner, and you start to create bioweapons and you test them, whoever you're at odds with, that's who you're testing them for. You're now in a bio war. The, 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 the weapon doesn't have to be released in order. You're in the war once you start creating the thing. This all goes back to those nuclear nuclear bodies. weapons, right? Why are we why are we even why are we even having this conversation? What are we doing? It's crazy. We're in a bio, but what I'm saying is we're in a bio war, okay? Full scale all across the world. We put bioweapons lab. We weren't even supposed to bring NATO East at all. We brought it east, and then we put fucking bioweapons labs in the Ukraine. This is a direct provocation of the Russian people. And what I think people miss, what I hope black people, first and foremost, let me speak to the Negroes, the bourgeois Negroes, who think they're getting some giant golden ticket or payday in this China-centric globalist utopia. They were perfectly willing. You're talking about military strategists, Brzezinski, national security advisor, military strategists. All day, this is what he thinks about. If we do A, B will happen. If we do C, D will happen. If we don't do A or, or C, B or D will happen. This is all they do. They knew full well that the provocation of Russia and the, the reneging on the agreement with Baker and Gorbachev would eventually, potentially, come down on the Ukrainian people. And now all of us in America are supposed to fucking pay to defend a decision that they made? Why don't they fucking pay? Why doesn't Brzezinski and Mika and MSNBC and, and, uh, and, and the Clintons and the Obamas and the Bidens and whatever other European finocchios want to throw in, why don't they throw all their money, their private assets together to fund this, to protect the Ukrainian people? Why don't they go there? Why do we allow them to send our sons and daughters to go fight a war that they openly provoked? I know the reason why. We didn't read. It all goes back to the same thing. We didn't read. Nobody even knew the deal that was done with Gorbachev. Think, did, you, did, you, did the average American citizen understand what went down between Baker and Gorbachev? No. I did, but I've been trained my whole life to be paying attention to this. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was great. When, when Baker, I remember it like it was yesterday when that deal got cut because there was 400,000 Soviet troops in East Germany. And Gorbachev said, I will withdraw. Just give me your assurance that you're not going to follow me back to Mother Russia. And you know they hate Gorbachev there now? They hate him in Russia because he took a gamble, he trusted people, and they lied to him. And, you know, this is a big problem. And we are taught that the Russians, you can't trust the Russians, that they're the expansionists. And I say this, and I've said it, I've met, I think I might have said it on, please call me crazy with you, the British attacked Russia in 1807, 1852, the Crimean War, which a half a million Russians died in that. That was not a small deal. Mm -hmm. They had uh, the occupation of Russia after World War I, mm -hmm. including U.S. troops in Vladivostok. Everybody got in on it. The Germans attacked Russia in 1942, Operation Barbarossa. 
I mean, the Russians have a recent memory of being attacked over and over by Western countries. So they have every right and reason to be sensitive on this issue. That German thing was, I think, one in seven Russians died. It was not a small deal. It was like 30 million. I don't know. It was 20 million, 20 yeah, plus million. A lot. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was crazy. They won the war. Yes. For example, you know. They won the, the European theater. They won the European theater. When you go to, yeah, they won the European theater. When you, when you go to play a, a sport, basketball, yeah, we won as a team, but whoever gave the most gets MVP, right? The Russians were the MVP of the European theater in World War II. There's a funny line. I love this line. And right. we do well to remember that. I mean, we do well to show some fucking gratitude to the Russians. You know, all you fucking post-World War II vets or whoever the fuck wants to have an opinion on the matter. You know, all these, all these military industrial complex shills who want to talk about constitutional conservatism and nationalism, but they still want to suck the dick of the military and that whole scam. You do well to fucking remember that the Russians saved your fucking ass if in World War II. we get up on YouTube, I said this exact same thing on this episode. You ungrateful cocksuckers. I said this. I went to the state central committee meeting of the Republican Party recently, and they said... If you're a veteran, stand up. And everybody gave these people huge props for being veterans. Mm -hmm. And then Representative Tom Emmer came up. He came late. He didn't realize they'd already gotten honored. So he honored them again. Mm -hmm. And, you know, all this affects me. And this is the bravery of men. Now, these are old men now. Well, it's not even, and I don't want to, let me be clear. I don't even, it's not the veterans. Per se. They're being used. It's the Finocchios with suits who negotiate and broker on behalf of the memory and the and the and the and the tragedy of the veterans. Their heroism and their sacrifice is, is used. It's exploited to justify and to cover empire. Mm-hmm. Empire. Mm-hmm. Our empire. Our far flung empire with our three hundred and fifty. Support global- the troops. No, it's more like use the troops. There, yes, that yeah. exploit yeah. the troops, not support the troops. That's and, what's been happening. And many of the troops come back and they know this, mm-hmm. but because they they suffer and they bleed with their brothers, it's you know it's a it's a big ask for them. You to come suffering out. to cut a deal. You suffering to cut a deal with the troops. You suffering to cut a deal with the Jews. You suffering to cut a deal with black women and the welfare state. You suffering to cut a deal with the Chinese. You suffering to cut a deal with the people there in Europe that don't know any better. That you know, most of the people in Europe are poor. They they don't know they don't understand the intellectual tradition of higher education in Europe. That's not a that's not a but widespread. But they could. They could. I mean, and sitting here talking with it's almost like, why are we even talking about politics? Let's just ask people to read. Yeah. If people would start reading, they do politics on their own because they get pissed. Mm-hmm. If they, people really just spend a little time doing a little personal research. Now, the people are watching for an hour and a half today. Take a half hour and look up Bob Kagan. Look up Isaacson, Walter mm-hmm. Isaacson. Mm-hmm. Look at who these people are that are running the show. We don't have the power they do. And who are they? There are intellectual elites that work in our universities. I mean, this is really gets down to the, the heart of the matter. Mm. What's going on in the universities? It's a $1.1 trillion industry. $400 billion is direct grants from the U.S. government. What are they doing there with that money? Nothing good. Yet every parent like me, because I've had 
five kids I put through these institutions, we're all taught and we all believe that we must send our kids to college so they can get a good job. Most of all, to become the purveyors of the status quo, the proverbial conservers of the status quo. Productive members of society. Well, I mean, let's get specific with the professions. What are the two predominant professions you have to go to in order to get? Lawyers and doctors. Motherfucking right. Lawyers and doctors. The two most cocksucking prestigious occupations in the whole fucking country. Everybody wants to tip their fucking hat to these lawyers and doctors. I meet a lawyer, I meet a doctor, I immediately don't trust them. There is a uh, a great... Stay right there, I'm going to see who this is. Go ahead. There's a great uh, term that was used by the Nazis in 1933. Huh? We're going to have to edit this part out, but no, we're not going to edit. Well, here comes the great Chris. There's a great, there's a great concept that was used. It's friends and family Friday. It's fantastic. Family and friends episode. Chris Cordelay dropped by. All right. <laughs> now you're famous, Chris. Come in, sit down, have a blast. We're going full spectrum. Well, this could be a three hour podcast. Now I get how they go three hours on Rogan, for example, because yeah. you get rolling, you can't get it done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. This is very important. You're I was just saying how doctors all these... and lawyers, doctors and lawyers. Chris, you can sit sit right there in that chair. Don't don't come through here. Right don't over there, there, brother. Well, we're going to even ask you questions. So cock sucking lawyers and doctors, lawyers and doctors. I cannot believe how prestigious lawyers and doctors have become in this country. You know, they and were... how much we kiss their fucking ass they... when it's so clear. They that were, the lawyers and doctors are the vanguard of a corrupt status quo. They were the vanguard of the Nazi enterprise. Well, wait, there well, was, first off, can we just talk about the racket here? The racket. Why okay. in the fuck do I have to go and get a four-year education and then go to four years, two years? Got to go to law school. Three years for law school. Three years of law school, give or take. Maybe I'm a jerk off. It takes me an extra year. Maybe I'm and, really... Really meticulous about becoming a fucking Two scam years. artist. Yeah. Takes me 18 months. I don't know. Give or take. Go to law school. Go to Carl no, Carlson's business school. What's our school of law here? University of Minnesota Law School. We got Hamlin's got a law school. No, what is the University of Minnesota's law school called? University of Minnesota Law School. Oh, okay. Okay. Go to law school to have to take the bar. The law is public. You don't have to in California. In California, you don't have to go to law school. In fact, Kim Kardashian recently said she was going to be a self-taught lawyer. Yeah, great. It didn't work yet. We're still waiting. If you have fake tits, you shouldn't be able to be a lawyer. <laughs> that's going to wipe out a lot of lawyers. That's that's a lot. If you have fake breasts, you should not be able to be a lawyer. Now, let, 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 again, let's talk about this. If... The president of the United States can't be born of another nation. If you have to be American born to be the president of the United States, why should you be able to be, why should you be able to be foreign born and protect the rule of law, the constitutional rule of law? That doesn't make sense. It's obvious to anybody with half a fucking brain that lawyers collectively as an industry 
can subvert the rule of law through legal corruption. So I, I don't understand where we're, how we're squaring the circle there, that the president can't be foreign-born, but all of your district attorneys can be either foreign-born, if, if that were the case, or they could be funded. They could have their campaigns funded by somebody who's foreign-born. It's really about the law. Why does George Soros get to fund? Why does George Soros get to single-handedly take control over vast swaths of district attorneys in our country? Isn't that a, isn't that, doesn't, isn't that a national security risk? Well, he's an American citizen. I think you and I have had that conversation. He's an American citizen, but he's foreign-born. He's foreign-born. He couldn't be president, and he is, so he, he shouldn't be able to be able to buy DAs. Well, Because what we're really saying when we do that is that district attorneys or lawyers in general, that the entire industry of law has no bearing on the constitutional health of our nation, this goes which right, is fucking a scam. It goes right into one of my most critical ideas that I'm trying to get across. Mm-hmm. We've never developed an authentic American domestic policy or an authentic American foreign policy. Our elite institutions have been infiltrated and occupied by foreign powers. And those foreign powers bring in with, they stifled, they never allowed the natural development of an American ideology to become born and then to develop. We started, we started, we got divorced from the British. And then what happened was, in very short order, after the Civil War, the crown started to infiltrate its academic elites into our uh, universities. And we, the American people, were sending our bright people into Europe for education because the European colleges and universities were better developed. They had three, four, five hundred, six hundred, a thousand year traditions, and we were a new country. Mm. So we found ourselves as American citizens without America. We don't live in America. We live in some kind of other ideology. Communism is not an American ideology. I'll tell you what an American ideology is. Are you ready? Mm. Nazism is an American ideology. No doubt. Okay. Euthanasia, Mm -hmm. eugenics. Those ideas came, were born here and born throughout the world. But as far as an authentic American culture, it's never been born. That's what I'm, I'm hoping. That's what I'm working for. That's my politics, that we, the American people, can develop an American culture that's about the well-being of the American people. Rule number one, fake tits. <laughs> fake tits are not qualified to be lawyers. It's, it's, a mat, it's just a matter of, of the, the human, you know, the, 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 the genetic predisposition of human men are easily corrupted by fake tits. Therefore, a woman with fake tits could have the potential sway on a jury in a trial case against weak men who sit there in the in the juror's box. I'll take it in another direction. There's a prayer. It's a joke, but I'm, you get what I'm saying. It's a good joke, but I have a serious comment. Okay. Where are the flock that God tends? We are the flock that God created. Here I am. I'm 64 years old. I'm not supposed to say my age, but, you know, hey, everybody screw off. That's what I am. And I'm kind of proud of it because I almost didn't make it to 30. So when you barely get out of your 20s and you get to live as long as I have, you say, wow, that's an accomplishment. You know, and I was a great athlete, but I wasn't a professional athlete. You know, come on. Let's accept ourselves for who we are. Let's not allow the culture 
to make us hate ourselves. Mm. And it does such a good job of that. Really, you could say sports and Hollywood. Look, and I'm look, I'm not I'm not making a comment about fake tits in the general sense. Do You're I? just making it in terms of law. Yes. Yes, that the sphere of, of law is so vitally important to the overall health of our nation and citizenship and the rule of law that there are certain considerations that should go into the, you know requirements of the legal legal field. How rigorous, about, uh, rigorous pre-qualifications. How about I mean, how many lawyers? There, there's like a, there, there's too many lawyers in our country. There's there's actually too many lawyers. The only way you can explain that a country gets as litigious as we've become is that there are actually too many lawyers. There are too many people that you could go to that'll take a gander on a on a, a gamble on a on a, a, a you know uh, embellished lawsuit, right? I mean, it's ridiculous. There are too many fucking lawyers. There would be a measure of a lack of well-being. And they tend to not be that fucking smart either. Well, they're and not, I, paid, I they're not paid to be smart. You know, I, I don't want to get thing. down on lawyers, but, I mean, geez, it's just, you know, it's, it's unbelievable to me that you got a DA like Fannie Willis, and, she, you know, she's in charge. Of my, or, or, you know, even, let's talk about jury. I mean, when you have... A, 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 a philosophical and intellectual bankruptcy like we have in this country, how can we trust the, the results of the justice system at all anymore? I mean, that undermines the rule of law. That any 12 jerk-offs from the street have the, have the moral, spiritual, uh, intellectual capacity to properly, uh, you know, judge one of their peers when the stakes are high? Now, AJ talked about this the other day, a utopian prison system. He's like, these sentences got to shrink. They got to come down. And I didn't think about it at the time, but even in terms of how de decayed the, the, the intellect is of the American people, I don't think we have the, the capacity to make, to make huge judgments on our fellow citizens. I'm not saying we should make everything, you know, you just have no rule of law and just, you know, let people get away with murder. But, geez, I mean, that, that is the moral hazard that has grown out of our legal system. And you saw it with the Trump indictment. And you got the little fucking, you know, little pencil neck fucking, you know, goofball white woman, liberal white woman, who was a grand juror. And I showed the video on my podcast on Monday, who came right out and said, I, I just wanted to indict him so I could be the one that swore him in. And, and have the president say that he solemnly swears. I mean, this is how laissez-faire we are with the actual idea and concept of justice. And these same people talk about they're defending freedom and, and, and justice. They're defending, uh, you know, uh, democracy. You're destroying democracy. I mean, it literally is a destruction of democracy when you promote an indictment of a president that came through a grand juror who says she just wanted to do it so she could swear the man in because it'd be cool. The whole... Uh... These people aren't serious. Well, it's the educational, it's the religious, it's the fundamental building blocks of culture have been weakened, not by accident, very purposefully. Because if you're going to usher in a completely new paradigm and you're going to overturn a 2,000-year Judeo-Christian fundamental foundation to our culture, you have to weaken that. You have to 
overthrow it. And we're, why we have so much conflict right now is we are right at the moment when the overthrow is complete. It's complete. So the fact that my children, who I love and who I talk to, aren't nearly as educated as I was at their at their age. I you know, we had three three we had three television stations when I was a kid. Three black and white television stations. And the programming was no good. We wanted to go outside. There was there was none of this stuff that your generation has, you know, been the beneficiaries of. Are you the beneficiary? I don't think so. I think we this goes back to the airplane versus driving. Mm-hmm. The technology can go too far. The point is, it was intended to go too far. This is not a conspiracy theory again. It's a fact. All you got to do is look for the evidence. I, I want to By just, their own testimony. Well, go ahead. Well, I just want to say this. Yeah, go Gle- ahead. Gleichschultung is the German term applied to the Nazification of German society following the Nazi seizure of power in 1933. It means coordination. And they wanted to coordinate the society in a Nazi you know, system of organization. And people go, oh, the Germans, they're very organized. They're hmm. super organized. Well, you know, our society is super organized. It doesn't look like it. It looks like there's all this chaos going on. Organized but chaos. But it's all controlled. Mm-hmm. It's all manufactured chaos. Mm-hmm. And it has an outcome. And what it is intending to create is an outcome where a completely new political organization holds sway over the nation. They had one-party rule in Nazi Germany. Kind of looks bad in hindsight, right? Mm -hmm. Dictatorship. We have one-party rule here in the United States. We have the illusion of two parties. Why is there so much? What's the one party? The uniparty. The uniparty, Mm -hmm. right? Why is there no fighting in the Democrat Party now that Bobby Kennedy's come up? There is some. And I want to say, going back to an early part of our conversation, there are some nationalists in the Democrat Party. Mm-hmm. They just are so appalled by the racism and the anti-Semitism and the homophobia in the Republican Party. They're stuck in there. And we're not going to get them out of there until we have a more, until uh, we have a, 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 a new start in the Republican Party. The common sense party. Common sense, just the American mm-hmm. Citizens Party. But the, 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 the one party rule thing looks bad. So we'll give them two parties. But it doesn't matter who gets elected. The outcome's the same. That's why there's such a tremendous fight in the Republican Party. Because you actually have half the party has actually got a different ideology. You and I share that ideology. Now, nationalism. <laughs> nationalism has a terrible name. Mm. Why? Because they label Hitler as a nationalist when, in fact, he was the ultimate globalist. What do we know? Why do we know it? He tried to take over the whole world. <laughs> Come on, that's as global as it gets, yeah. right? Yeah. But certainly pop- was certainly was on the move. But yeah. populism, populism. When you talk, when you hear like Mika Brzezinski talk about populism, she talks about it like it's a disease. What is populism? It's a politics of the people. Well, their view of it is that the people are stupid. They don't exactly correct. Well, not only that, but the, and what makes it so dishonest isn't that I disagree. Because people are radically stupid, but they're not as stupid as they would like to presume. But the real, the real dishonesty of it, the real scam, is that they intentionally made the people stupid progressively and over then, sixty and years, and then indict them for and being then indict stupid. them for being stupid, and they keep telling them they're stupid until the people judge themselves. 
They hold their own judgment that they're stupid. This is very evil. Very evil. Get a hold of hate herself. I, I told him the, the, the best way to describe it is pimping. The American people are being pimped. The pitch of the politicians, the pitch of the people in charge is the plan. I mean, you got to be a special, you got to be a, a special type of stupid hoe to listen. Who's the bottom bitch on this? Where, where, yeah, where I come from, <laughs> you got to be a particularly stupid type of hoe to believe in a pimp solely based on the plan. Especially when it ain't, especially when it doesn't yield any fruit. You know, I mean, if I'm, if I'm hoeing and you're pimping and you're big time, let's go back to the 70s. You were alive during the 70s. I know guys that came from the 70s, right? And I got the slack one pocket and I got the snakeskin shoes, the alligator shoes. I got the full length mink coat. I got the gold chain and the Cadillac. I'm riding around listening to Curtis Mayfield. You know, I'm super fly like a motherfucker. And you out there selling ass. Okay. And I'm collecting. And, you know, maybe I take 10 of you out to Vegas. We go to the fight. You know, we go to see Muhammad Ali and we have a great time for seven days or whatever it is. And then, you know, you go back to Hoenn on the on the eighth day. I didn't want to use the seventh day because it'd be sacrilegious. But, you know, on the eighth day, you're back to Hoenn, right? There's no, there's no trip in Vegas for you hoes. There's no eighth day for you hoes. There, there's no, there's no fruit from this agreement. You're just getting pimped, like gorilla. This is gorilla pimping, as we would call it in the neighborhood, <laughs> right? This is gorilla pimping. This is you. I own you. We own you. How do they do it? Well, I think this, it, I think it's glacial tongue. Now, but now is this? That's collection. N- now they're going to tell you this is your seven days in Vegas, and it's not by accident that the the technology and the software and the psychology of this is meant to emulate the slot machines. I just came across that connection just in real time, but it is actually a, a week in Vegas. Seven hours on the phone the or on social media is a weekend worth at the slot machine. It's a weekend. It's a never ends. Porn. Everything. Everything you need. Right there. Right there. We're yeah. pimping you. So the advancement of technology. That's why we got to put now. We got to put this in your head. It's not. It's. It's so inconvenient to carry a six inch paperweight device. Implant. It, it's uh, put it right in your brain. That way you don't. That's even, so convenient. You don't even have to touch it. That it's way you don't convenient. have to worry about the germs. The convenience is incredible. I don't want to touch anything. The, the less the, it's for your well-being touchless it's for your well-being touchless society we're going to a touchless society i mean how can you procreate in a touchless society how can you have any balance to your body or your feelings when i see so touchless? many people on facebook with their status of mask and vac- vaccinate i mean you know i got vaccinated as a kid tanner you got vaccinated as a kid we had vaccinations probably to go to school None of us put it on our job application. We didn't put it. We, we didn't. We didn't. We didn't lead with it in conversation. You met a pretty girl at the playground when you're in the seventh grade. You didn't say, "Hey, yeah, I got my, I got my uh, fucking measles vaccine." I mean, what the fuck is wrong with these? These do, do, do they realize how silly it looks? Oh, it looks perfectly intelligent to them. What they're saying is, they are part of the religion of the Eucharist. That's their symbol. 
like the swastika, that they have joined the religion of science. Or as Dr. Fauci said, trust the science. Mm. You know, that, that is their symbol, and that is the, the, uh, the sign of their participation, their full-throated involvement in the reorganization of culture from one that's faith-based, where we're developing a relationship with God in the hopes of divine revelation. Yeah. Now we're going for our well-being checkup. This is how I got myself clipped out of that episode talking like this. That's why they took it down. Because... He's a... What, 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 say, go ahead. Well, I just want to say, yeah. once you've given up your critical thinking and you're just mindlessly part of that religion, that's exactly what those people were criticizing about the Jews and the Catholics of 100 years ago. Balance needs to break out everywhere. We have to balance these two poles, the scientific and the religious. We don't need to have a total victory. We have to have balance. But everybody seems to want to win. Not, and this, this, this is not a thing you can win. We know science has benefits. We use the benefits. We're using them right now. <laughs> We're talking to the audience through a digital media. Mm -hmm. It's fantastic. Great. Right? Mm -hmm. But we're also Guttenheim going to... Uh, Guttenheim revolution is what they would call that. Well, I think I was listening to somebody say that the reason the, the colonists won against the British is they had more printing presses mm -hmm. locally. Mm -hmm. Information, fantastic. Right. We have to balance these two estates. The scientific is trying to win, but not because they're trying to win for science. Or humans, or the planet. That's correct. They have their own agenda. Well, let's talk about that. I mean, let's start with Anthony Fauci. He's a particularly little, little uh, detestable anti-Jew little fuck. Um, Dr. Fauci, did you, did you know that the bioweapons labs that they found in the Ukraine, that the entire bioweapon, bioweapons defense R&D, for lack of a better term, it might have been called something else, but the entire program was put under the National uh, Institute of Infectious Disease. Yeah. The entire program of bioweapons, which is how Dr. Fauci came to oversee the decision makings around gain of function because gain of function is heavily tied to the production of bioweapons. And they, they fenced it or the cover story was it was to anticipate how viruses might evolve so they could protect us. That's why we have nuclear weapons to protect us. Yeah. Isn't that great? Yeah. Boy, I feel so safe. Let me take you all the way to the deep end of the pool. Now, if we're talking, I mean, when we're, when we're talking about the scam of protection, I mean, most people won't even accept that Anthony Fauci was actually is is actually in charge of bioweapons, which he was, and we're in a biological war. I mean, we're in it right now. Right now, countries around the world are planning on how to deploy, how to defend against. Is we're in a biological war. Let's go a layer deeper: military-industrial complex, Maui direct energy weapons, um, unidentified, finari uh, unidentified aerial phenomenon, UAPs. What the fuck is going on here? What, what, what do you got? What do you got on your bingo card for how this whole thing plays out? I think that our uh, 
Most people don't. Most of your boomer boomer conservatives won't even. They won't even go here. So I I, I venture well, because into, it's scary. Yeah. Oh, I don't want to be scared. I spend. Hey, pussy. I manage my anxiety now. Doesn't mean I don't have it. You know, if you come to the point where you manage your anxiety or mm -hmm. you can live with your anxiety, mm -hmm. it's much more uh, appropriate because then when you're afraid of something, you know, it's like this unidentified aerial phenomenon. Why they don't want to deal with it is they're afraid if they reach their hand down that hole, oh, there might be some beings down there that have a God that's better ass than our God. Oh, we don't want to go there. But actually, my personal feeling about this is, is that our military industrial complex might have some technology that they're not telling us about. Mm. Like, for example, when they cracked off those first two bombs, most people didn't know that that was possible. Right? Mm -hmm. So I think there's some technologies out there that are, well, you know, you don't have to go far. All the listeners and viewers have to do is go look up Peter Thiel, find Peter Thiel's hedge fund, and look up all the companies that he invests in, and look what they're studying. I mean, they're studying things that we're sitting here, I'm pretty sure I'm a full-born human being. Pretty sure. Pretty sure I am. <laughs> Can't be certain anymore Can't now. be certain. <laughs> they certainly want it to be that way, too. But very shortly, yeah. we're not going to know who we're talking to because they're going to roll this clone army out. You know, I remember when I, I was a young man when, uh, what was that movie? Blade Runner came out. Mm -hmm. Blade Runner. Mm -hmm. And it seemed like such a fantastic world. It's the world we're living in. It's the world we're living in. I watched Walter Isaacson being interviewed by Andrea Mitchell, and he was talking about the alteration <laughs> of the human genome by hacking and then engineering RNA, mm. which is exactly what we're doing. He was saying, hey, we want our kids to be programmers. Hey, we're going to have programmers that know the secret of life. Oh, the secret of life? That's the secret of life? No, that's the secret of death. The secret of life is found in the world of faith. Like I was watching Isaacson, he said, we must have faith in the science. No, we don't have faith in science. Mm -hmm. Science is a discipline of doubt. Oh, get, It's all about yeah, doubt. Get, get, no, guess who I saw uh, talking yesterday, Neil deGrasse Tyson. Oh, there's a great one for you. Yeah, he, he goes on. You, a, own that, you own that on your side of the equation. He goes on a, oh. Come on! Cornball, black, intellectual, bourgeois elite to the max. I mean, you're putting these... Talk about, talk about white people using Jews to, to fence some globalist agenda. Neil deGrasse Tyson is the fucking mascot, literally, of globalism and, and I don't know, inter, inter, intergalacticism. I don't know what the fuck Neil deGrasse Tyson is pitching. But anyway, he had a comment about faith, and he said, faith is belief in that which can't be proven through evidence. That was his whole thing. Like he used the word faith as a, you know, as a way to describe that which can't be seen or that which can't be proven, and that's not what faith is. The, and and and, I, and we're so fucking dumb that we let these mealy mouth, unintelligent motherfuckers like Neil deGrasse Tyson come up there and tell us what the Judeo Christian tradition is all about. The faith is not in what can't, what can't be seen. 
The faith is in God's love. You have faith in God's grace. The faith is in the grace. The faith is in the love, which quite visibly can be seen if you're able to be, if you're, if you're, you have to ask. Well, no, not even, you don't even have to ask. You don't have to ask. Yeah, I think you do. No, you don't. You don't? To see it? You have to want to see it is what I'm saying. You oh, have, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. You've yeah. got to be searching But you really don't. I mean, let's just, uh, let's go even just more basic than this. You know, I, you know, this is a very, this is a faithful person's view of God and faith. Let's go to a more, a more scientific view of God and faith. You're a miracle. For you to even have the consciousness to question God is a fucking miracle. I mean, it is an, it's an anomaly by scientific standards. There are thousands, there are billions of living organisms on the planet. You are a series of serendipitous events, sir. And why do I know a that? Billion, yes. Because in seventh grade, <laughs> Mr. Weber obliterated my biblical training and taught me the origin of the species. Yes, yeah, of course, Darwin. So Great. when you replace the creation myth of Western culture with the crown-funded explanation about why slavery is legitimate, mm -hmm. hey, everybody learns it. If you don't believe it, you're branded a Cretan or a, you know, a Luddite or something. You get to breathe. To even be able to question God is a, is a complete miracle. Just to be able to draw breath. You wake up in the morning, you can draw enough breath to produce. First of all, in space, you can't even produce sound in space. You realize that? The, 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 the genius of the creation is so fucking good because God knows people don't need to live in space. I don't want them living out there. So there's no need to fucking talk out there. I'm not going to put any fucking atmosphere for the sound waves to bounce off of. If there wasn't oxygen, if there wasn't an atmosphere for sound waves, we're talking science now. The reason why there's no sound in, in, in space is because there's nothing out there for the sound waves to bounce off to make sound. You're drawing breath in a place that's specifically designed to be able to, to, to bounce sound to be able to communicate with one another so you can fucking question God, you little arrogant prick. Neil deGrasse Tyson, you wouldn't even be able to move your fucking mouth if it wasn't for an intelligent design. And you're so fucking arrogant that instead of paying homage and reverence to God, you sacrilegious, milquetoast motherfucker, instead of doing that, you're going to walk all the way until you come to the rationalization that, no, this is Sims. We're living in a computer simulation, most likely. The evidence, the evidence shows that we're living in a computer simulation. And this is where these fucking retards are going. Well, that's where they want us to go. They would rather us believe we're living in a simulation than believe that there's a God. I mean, and at that level, what's the difference? Right? Well, I mean, what are they really saying? What? Okay, God created a... I mean, it's still a... I mean, at that level... What are they really saying is the difference? There is no difference. They're just, they're just, I mean, that when you get to that height of it, the blatant rejection of God is so desperate, it's almost laughable. That that well, it's it's not laughable. It's tragic. Well, yeah. I mean maybe it, it's tragic comic, depending on who it yeah, is. Yeah. Maybe when Dante's gets, Inferno. Well, when you get yeah. to the fake tits, the it divine gets to be comedy. Funny. But you know, yeah. the point, the point is on display is is people's deep suffering. Mm. They're separated 
from the Creator. Mm. That's the definition of sin. And sin is not legal. <laughs> Our government has taken over every aspect of it. Think about it. I was thinking about this. You know, The Godfather, I love that movie, The Godfather, Don Corione. Mm -hmm. You know, he didn't want to get into the drug business because, after all, that's somewhat dangerous. Well, the government's in the drug business now. The government's in the gambling business. The government's in every business. There's no illegal businesses. They've regulated everything, including war. Mm -hmm. Come on. What is that? What is that? That's a great soundbite. Well, you know, it's Put it's that, mark the time. That's a that's a that's a well, thir I mean, thirty this, second. This is so clip sad, right there. you know, because what 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 I found it's true. And, it's and I know true. we must be getting close to the end. I mean, what I found most, I went into having that cancer mm -hmm. with faith. But when you stake your survival on your faith, your faith is made whole, and people are not generally willing to do that which is why my episode was brought down. Because what I was saying was there is a balance between the technical and the scientific and the faith, and we're not seeking that balance anymore. We're living over here in this digital thing because they want that faith part to go away. Why? Because if I have faith in God, my only ruler is God. I cannot be ruled by men. And that's what it's really all about. Who's the boss? Mm. Who's the boss? Mm. So I mean, I know who my who my master is, and I still break the rules. That's another thing that's interesting. Got the Ten Commandments. Oh, hey, it's a real heavy lift. People are people. Oh, Ten Commandments. Hey, for people that are intensely religious, they break the Ten Commandments. Come on, it's difficult to have faith. It is a standard of behavior. Yeah particularly if you come from the Jewish side of the equation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, there's a standard of behavior that, and even if you're coming from the the faith part or, you know, being born again part, we're, we're giving up our addiction to sin. Mm. We're, we're, we're born again in this new way of thinking and being. So we're just not, we're, we're, we're leaving that opportunity behind. We're precluding the opportunity for young people to discover faith. Instead, they're discovering all these new ideas. They're new ideas. They've been around, I don't know, a couple of seconds. We're going to overturn 100,000 years of human evolution for some new ideas that popped up in the last 20 years. Oh, come on. Somebody's up to something. Culture doesn't move like that. To get someone to do some of the things that people are doing, it's going against everything that's inbred into them as human beings. I look at it as an older person and say, "How? That's pretty. That's power. That's power. If you can get people to give up what is what we call the natural way, wow, that's powerful. A lot of benefits right there in that phone. A lot yeah. of benefits. Yeah. And I'm a I'm working in what I'm doing to just try to say to my viewers and my listeners, could we please look at the baby? Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. There's many." Uh, questionable things that came with faith. Faith was certainly used to conquer. It was used to oppress. It was used to discriminate. Right. There was many, but that is not a failure of God. That's a failure of man. Mm -hmm. That's like using people, what did you call it, Neil deGrasse, a, a mascot, did you call him? Or a, yeah, he's a mascot. A mascot. Mm -hmm. Well, we, we have that kind of thing happening forever. What we want to do is we want to read and contemplate and study and pray 
and discover the things that our parents and our grandparents and our great-grandparents and on back sought to discover. It's only in our generation, in our time, when people don't look for those things. Of course, now, we live to be 78 years old. Wow, what a long time. Let me tell you, it goes in a hurry. 100 years ago, people died at 40, maybe 150 years ago. They died at 40. Maybe life was a little bit more meaningful when the time was so short. And when you come to the end of time, the end of your time, you were talking about stretching out time or the great athlete is able to slow things down. Mm. That's what it's all about for me. Savoring every moment, every sunrise, every sunset, breathing the air, every relationship that I have. It's stretching out time to make more of it instead of being caught up in trivial pursuits and then you're called to do jury duty and you're not qualified to make a judgment because you've, been, you've allowed yourself. Let us not blame anyone for being dumb. I don't blame people when I'm dumb. I say, whoa, I have some work to do. Yeah. And that's what we want to do. We want to get back to the self-governance yes. of people developing their own artistry. I said recently that artistry is the antidote to depravity. If we're depraved and we know, and if you're a listener and a viewer and you know you're depraved, you know you're depraved. I mean, if you're going to stop watching this digital transmission and then pop right into depravity, you know you're depraved. We're, I'm telling you you're depraved. It's depraved. So what we want to do is work our way towards something that's a little more artistic, a little more meaningful, a little more enduring than just the here and now, this second. And, you know, it's up to us. Yeah. I mean, we're there. It's up to us. Yeah. It's not going to be up to any college professors. It's not going to be up to any politicians. We're at a moment in time when we, the people, are either going to develop our artistry and our self-governance, or we're going to be ruled. Mm. And we're going to live miserable lives of servitude. And that's just, you know, that's just not me. You know, when they get rid of all the people my age and the memory of being free is gone, then what do you got? Then we're fucked. And we're fucked, aren't we? Well, thanks for coming in again, Professor Penn. We appreciate Professor Penn. We appreciate it. It was a mouthful. Make sure you go check out episode 50 on Rumble or on the audio platform if you get a chance. Figure out why you make an assessment. You judge for yourself why why the uh, the tech cucks at, at YouTube thought that that episode was, uh, was a little too uh, dangerous for you to hear. Uh, I certainly didn't think it was it was that dangerous. But again, if you want to stop the freedom of movement and create a, 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 a population of mindless zombies, any common sense thing you say and can be perceived as dangerous. please call me crazy. What 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 are your platforms that please call me crazy is on? Where where are you? All of them. Rumble, YouTube, X. You got all kinds of stuff going up on Twitter, right? Band.video. Video. I won't, I won't even call it X. Fuck Elon Musk. He's a little fucking cuck too. Hiring that woke CEO. She's fucking still canceling people. All these conservatives that are gung-ho for Elon Musk, you, I just look at them and you go. You black men can take such wide liberties that I cannot take. Oh, you, you don't think you could talk about Elon? If I started talking about him, I want to have this up on this platform. I want to go out. I'm, Fuck I'm, him. See? Fuck off. We're, we're, a very good, we're a very good mix. I'm going to start speaking in parables, and you keep using that, that yeah, hammer yeah. door. No, no, no parables for me. I get it. I'm, ran, I'm, I'm taking a battering ram right up the ass of the establishment. Well, I think there's probably a lot to, uh, 
to say for that at this yeah. time. You got to. We have to. I mean, what I mean, you know, and I said it on my podcast a couple of weeks back, I think you saw the clip, is, you know, if if you're more concerned with profanity and how profanity sort of degrades your your Christian life more than you are uh, the military-industrial complex planning to put clones in a theater near you. And when I say a theater, I mean your fucking neighborhood. And you're going to pay tax money. You're going to pay fucking tax money to put clones in public schools that are probably going to be transgender, most likely. When the clone army comes, they're not going to be heterosexuals. Of course not. They're going to be gay. They're going to be something worse than gay. They're going to be transgender. They could be everything. Uh, pixies. Whatever you need. Trolls. Wizards. I don't know what the fuck they're going to be. They're not going to be anything resembling real people. But you're going to be paying for it. You're going to be paying to put them through school. And, and, and you're going to let the government tell your place of worship that they can't speak on politics. And you're going to stop yourself, refrain yourself from, from cussing, from using profanity. Because I guess your language is controlled. I mean, you know, but to me, it's it's even more it's even more dishonest because I think I think those people are taking the Lord's name in vain. That's, uh, how so? That's an interesting spin. They're using Christianity as a as a justification to look the other way while the government becomes satanic. That's a very good point, and I pussies. Want you to I want you to say it. Yep, pussies. And Elon Musk, you rhino cut conservative motherfuckers can go line up behind Mr. Brain Chip if you want to. I'm not doing it. I'm just not doing it. I'm not following a guy who wants to put chips in people's brain. Never in my in my in my wildest, wildest dreams would I ever think to be involved in a business that put chips in people's brains. I mean, the the thought of it is so the thought of it is just arrogant. I don't care if he lets Donald Trump back on Twitter. That doesn't make it. You don't in my world. In my in my head, you don't get points for doing the shit you're supposed to do. You don't get brownie points for doing what you should do. Yeah, you took over Twitter. There was a list of people who were considered persona non grata. Put them back. You let them back on. You don't get to become Messiah for that. I mean, what are we talking about? I, I'm a judge. I started to I started to rule on court cases fairly. What does that make me special? That made me a fucking well, you're doing hero. Your job. Do your fucking job, Elon. Do your fucking job and get Alex Jones back on there. You know, the fact that Alex Jones isn't on there means you're a fucking cuck, right? You're still, you're still at the T. And hiring that woman who's fucking, you know, since censorship cancel culture to the max, straight from the WEF, I think she was, you know, she's a participant in the WEF. She's fucking horrifying. You know, there was something. With her fucking, you know, little, you know, her, her too cool New York accent makes her seem like she's fucking, you know, regular. Here's Because anybody with a New York accent, you know, New York accents are their own thing, whether you're... No matter what race you are, a New York accent is a New York accent, right? You could be fucking... You're a New Yorker. You're a New Yorker, right? So you give somebody a New York accent, it's like giving somebody a British accent, right? It kind of has this cultural effect to it in the public state. So they bring some New York woman on. She's got a tinge of fucking melanin to her, right? And, and the fucking primpy, prissy, uh, uh, aristocratic, uh, you know, suit blouse with the fucking intellectual uh, frames and, you know. The whole fucking deal. Fuck her. Fuck Twitter. You know what? 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 I mean, how? How you can? You can only suppress the truth so long, and that's what they're not really getting. I mean, you can try, you can try, but at some point the rubber meets the road, and then you got to throw down. And I just think they're pussy. Me personally, I think they're kind of pussy. 
I think all the people who are hard on that, and this is what they're really going to run into. The military people, the military industrial complex leaders, I mean the real leaders, I'm not talking about the intellectuals. I'm talking about the people who know how to do war and combat. Those people right now are sitting in the weeds. They're laying in the weeds, allowing this to go on. And when the time comes, they are going to take these people out. That's my opinion. When the military leaders that are actually letting this go on, that know how to do war, when the time comes and the tyranny is full tilt and they see their opportunity, they're going to smoke these people. If I'm a five-star general and I got a – oh, what's my guy's name there in Russia? What's his fucking name? He's out there. He's running the, the fucking – Prigozhin, you're talking Prigozhin. about? Prigozhin. Oh, uh, no, uh, yeah, Prigozhin, who they think is uh, – no, uh, Wagner. Right? Wagner Group. Wagner Group. They think he might be dead now. There was a plane crash in Russia in the last day or so, and they think he was he was uh, killed in that plane crash. Dispatched. Which never get on a fucking plane. You know, don't break the law when you're breaking the law. Don't get on a fucking plane when you're in the middle of a war. It's ridiculous. But anyway, Prigozhin, when you got a battalion of 30,000 troops following you, you think you're going to fucking listen to Victoria Newland? I mean, when the when the... When the pleasantries are dispensed with, when there's no really need, when there's no people to put, there's not a, a consensus from a body of people that's going to dictate the winds of, of social, you know, perception, right? You think these people are going to listen to these intellectual finocchios? They're not. They're already not listening to them. Exactly. But I mean, they're not even going to pretend to listen to them. They're not. Pretending. Shortly. They're not pretending. Right but I mean, now. even the Elon Musk's, even the Nancy Pelosi's. I mean, this whole veil of democracy is razor thin. And they think they're doing democracy a service by drifting towards the authoritarian. They should be running this way because they're so pussy. I mean, the pussies need the protection of the the people, the populace, right? I mean, a pussy, a mini pussies is better than one. They're, are you saying they're not, they're not going to have any place to go? Yeah, where are they going to? They can't, they can't protect themselves. Look at their lives. Look at their fucking lives. They want to deny my boy RFK Jr. a Secret Service detail, and he's walking around 60 years old, jacked, in great physical shape. Met him, shook his hand. Man's in shape, in shape. They're going to deny him a detail, and he's like, all right, I'm just going to keep going. And they're running around. Hunter Biden's got, they got a, a fucking crackhead with 30 uh, Secret Service uh you know, security guards, right? Finding his cocaine. All of them. You think Elon Musk doesn't have private security? Oh, for sure. He can't secure himself. He's running around right now talking about, you know, playing grab ass with Mark Zuckerberg in an octagon just to fucking distract people, make a spectacle, you know, because you get two beta males in a cage together, you're sure to have fireworks. <laughs> Everybody wants to watch two beta males jerk off in a cage half naked. That's hilarious. Right? I mean, but I'm serious. Think, think about these people. Can they protect themselves? No, not personally. They're completely reliant upon a small subset of highly trained, physically fit, physically skilled military soldiers. All of them. Every last one of these aristocratic intellectual elites are dependent upon highly skilled, highly trained military men. 
when the time comes, if those military men don't have a sense of sacred honor for the deal that they've cut, because they have cut a fucking deal, pay us handsomely and we'll protect you while you run this fucking scam. If they don't like their cut, what are they gonna, how are they going to protect themselves against these people? No, they're going to have to renegotiate. Oh, yeah. Then who's going to be running shit? Well, yeah, hopefully it'll be the people, the, the, the ugly populism. Yeah, which is why people need to go out, train themselves, arm themselves, and actually start to pay a fucking attention. Well, that'd be called self-governance. That's exactly right. That's what the whole thing's about, isn't it? That's right. We appreciate your viewership and listenership today. And in the future, I hope you enjoyed the great Professor Penn. Make sure to go subscribe to his podcast on YouTube. Even though they like to censor him, go to Rumble, go to all the major audio platforms. We appreciate you for another another incredible family, friends, family and friends episode. Have a good weekend. Uh, the fight continues. Don't die a jerk off. And as always, Godspeed.